Welcome back to Cooper Duper, Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jess. I'm Mikey. And we are back with part 15. We are getting close to the end. Oh no, it's wild. It, it's very strange. It's actually going to time out kind of nicely with the end of a uh, quarantine, I think. Maybe, if quarantine ever actually ends. Oh, that's a good point. Maybe we just live here for the rest of our lives. Yeah. That's the attitude. Anyway. Um, this episode is very, very, very good. So good. And like... It's like very, very good. What this does really well too is begins and ends in with great moments. Oh boy. Okay. Like it's yeah, it's this is just top to bottom a very good episode. Yeah. Um this felt and I do not mean this in like a detrimental effect, but it felt a little fan servicey of like, I know you've been waiting for for a couple of these things to happen. But well, I, I guess it's really just that first scene. But even that, I don't think it was for the fans. I think I think David Lynch himself is a fan. Mm-hmm. Like I think this was this is something he wanted to do, and he wanted to do right by these characters. Mm-hmm. And you know, especially if you know we're not doing right by some other characters, right. like. He's not one to just like shit on everything or give everything a, a right. bright, happy ending. Right. There's like anything, everything's a balance. There's good, there's bad. This is one of the good. Yes. And it's very good. Very, very, very good. And the music cues, I think I'm going to come oh. back to a lot in yeah, this yeah. episode, yeah, are yeah. very good. Um, all right. So we start opening with uh, Nadine Hurley. Uh, she's walking down the street with her little shovel over her shoulder. Yeah, down along the side of the road. Uh huh. Um, and she gets to Big Ed's gas farm. Uh-huh. And he is like, where's your car, bud? <laughs> I, so I'm curious about this. Like, did they move? And why would they have moved away from, or are they not living together? Oh. Because. Did they used to live in the gas farm? The, at, the house is right next to the gas farm. Because remember, she pops out and she's like, these drapes aren't going to hang themselves. Oh, yeah. And he's like, yep, see, I got one at home too. Yeah. Like, they live in a house right next to the gas you, farm. But do you know where, I wonder if she's walking from um, her little storefront. That would be my guess. I thought, she hangs- I thought he mentions home at some point too. But mm-hmm. like... Yeah, and and then and then Ed doesn't seem to know about the shovel. Why? What is that shovel? Yet, yeah, she's got it hanging in her store window. Right. That seems a little off to me. But what happened between her and Doctor Jacoby? I hope so. Yeah. Right. Like, I, I I I honestly I think they just fuck. I don't even know if they did. I think it like it could very well just they're they want to. They're both infatuated. And I think mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is an opportunity, but like I don't know, don't care. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, that's I, for I sure. Kinda, secondary. I kind of don't want to put that on it because I, if she, the way she lets Ed down and breaks it off or whatever, I, for the sake of him and Norma and his own guilt mm-hmm. going forward, I would hope that this is a genuine decision. By Nadine Mm -hmm. to I have thought about this and this is something I want not I found this other guy and I'm I'm kind of ooh la la about him right now 
You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, so I don't want it to be that. Uh-huh. But I don't, you know what I mean? I but ultimately, do you care? <laughs> I mean, we get yeah. one of the best sequences ever. Oh, my God. Um, so uh, Nadine walks up. She essentially realizes that they're... Um, that he only was with her because of his guilt, and she decides that she can free. She's going to free him. She does not mention Doctor Jacoby. She just seems to have. Does she? I don't think she does. They do. They talk about Jacoby. In in terms of her breaking it off, or just in terms oh, of the not, shuttle? Not no, not directly. But like, have you been listening to that? Doctor Amp helped me. Yeah. Whatever. Like, not spe- in terms okay. of relationship or something, but. Um. And so kind of what we're left with is understanding that they have been in this like terrible relationship for the last 25 mm-hmm. years that he is staying with her because he feels obligated to and she is staying with him in spite of the fact that she clearly knows that he's in love with Norma mm-hmm. and and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So like it's kind of a grim look at their last it, few decades. It is, but it's also just like like I don't think I don't think Ed dislikes Nadine. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's an issue of like I'm staying with her to preserve the sanctity of marriage right. or I think he he's standing by his obligations and I don't think it's like I don't think he's miserable necessarily because of it. Mm-hmm. I think he could have lived out his life perfectly happy enough. Mhm. He seems like a contented guy. Right. He finds things that make him happy. But I think, you know, yes, there's something else at a higher level right. with Norma. Right. Um, so her, you know, Nadine letting him off the hook. And I love that he just lets her talk. Mm-hmm. She comes in and she's like, you've been, you know, mm-hmm. this is yada, yada, yada. And he just sits back. And he's no, no. He doesn't cut her off with a no, 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 no. It's it's you. It's, it's like always that, you. Yeah. I, it's not like that. Like yeah, he doesn't. He just lets her talk, mm-hmm. which I think just shows you how great Ed is. Mm-hmm. Again, like I am listening to you. Yeah, and how he managed to stay with Nadine for the last couple right. of decades of just like I'm. I'm not here to try to interpret what you're saying. Yeah. I'm not trying to like talk over you. I'll just be your audience. Um. So then she leaves. At, can we talk about Ed's hair for a second? Because it's like David Lynch cosplay a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like it's getting yeah. taller. Yeah. And it's getting grayer. Well, and it's funny. Like you get early original Twin Peaks. Cooper is like a, you know, vehicle for David Lynch. He was kind of vicariously. Mm-hmm living out you know a lot of his character was based on personality traits of david lynch Uh and that of like but that's like young david lynch and now old david lynch is is like big ed i think it there's something there but yeah that hairstyle is absolutely just david lynch and i would like it's just not up as high right um i would also like to call attention to the stellar acting that is that he does in this scene like there's that last scene that she just sort of she's very much like a hurricane that she comes in like fucks shit up and just leaves yeah i've known since forever you love norma and she loves you i kept the two of you apart because of my jealousy and i manipulated you ed no no you haven't oh no you know it's true i guilted you to stay 
And you're so good you stayed and gave up your love. Oh, God, Ed, I want you to be free. And everybody kind of has to deal with in her wake, whether it's positive or negative or whatever. But she says her piece and then bails. And he's just left there, standing there. And, mm-hmm. like, the things that go over his face are so, well, you can like, t- confused. You can tell he has given up yeah. on Norma. He's that's, resigned himself to this to, life this is, Right. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I did. he didn't think that he would ever actually get the opportunity to be with Norma right again. right and it's yeah and you see and his eyes just get beat red mm-hmm. and like oh my god his eyes get red or his like, face gets red his his like welling up oh and, oh yeah. I see what you mean yeah it starts, yeah it's it's it's, it's really lovely. gorgeous yeah and then it fades to black which I thought was weird very weird in and we talked about it when we were watching that I like to me, it felt like we were about to go into the title sequence, sure, which something. obviously has yeah. already happened. But that's just the way it. Yeah. it felt like a cold open. Yeah, um, it was it was strange. Like I feel like the two this should have dissolved with the shot of his car, you mm-hmm. know, his truck pulling into the double R, or just going to his truck, or just taking any action. It's something I think like it's, it's a weird blackout. Yeah. Um. Honestly, if it, if it were me, had I been editing it, it would have been a dissolve to white. It would have been like a, like a, mm-hmm. like a pop that kind of. Okay. But yeah, like like very like almost like you do for dream sequences, but mm-hmm. a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just like it's it. There's something hopeful and promising yeah. about that. To drop to a, a two three second blackout is just strange. It is to odd, me. and it kind of takes you out of the yeah. progress that's happening. Yeah, it's strange. Um. But our next scene is Ed going into the Double R Diner. Um, he performs one of the best waves. The best wave. The best wave. And like the, there's even a moment of like panic. Like, is she not even here uh-huh. right now? Because uh-huh. I need to find her now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't let any time go by. And then, and then spots her in the back and just straight fingers like it's, as far apart as you can it's go. Like a and toddler. just like shake, shake, shake. Like. It's, it's like a toddler learning a wave, like ah. But it's but it's not like floppy. Flop, yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's just big, strong. It's just it big. is a strong wave, yeah. and like the smile on his face. Oh, I you lo- you gotta love it. If you don't love this moment, stop watching Twin Peaks because yeah. this is everything. Yeah, and this is like you get so few moments of just pure. Joy Absolutely. and happiness and Absolutely. untainted. Well, I guess he did. And it makes these moments so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, it's soundtracked to I've Been Loving You for So Long Jesus, by Otis Redding. Song. And it's and this live version. And it's a live version. Oh. Lynch did this also with um, the episode where Maddie gets killed with. Um, what a wonderful world playing is a live version of oh, that song too. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's interesting that he's using these non-studio recordings. Is that unusual? I guess now that you say that, we usually when, do hear because why? Because when you're soundtracking something, normally you don't want to pull focus too much. Yeah, because from... because live suggests it's happening, uh-huh. and you don't want to suggest something is happening. Like because you can hear crowd noise, and, and that's weird. Yeah. Because you don't know where it's coming or, yeah. from, yeah. So it's it's an odd choice. So to but have it, so works. It, it's there's just something so genuine and raw about mm-hmm. that 
Otis Redding performance yeah. in that song His voice that is, is unreal. Yeah, it's so good, and it really, really taps into the the up and down and instant floods of emotion that go high and a low, real back emotional and roller forth coaster in the next in three scene. minutes. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. Um, so. So he sees her. He tells her, "What did he say? She set me free. She, yeah, something like that." And basically tells him, "Tells, excuse me." And he essentially says, "Let's be together. Like we can do it. Finally, mm-hmm. finally, finally." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as they have this moment, then Walter, Norma's boyfriend, walks in, fucking suit. But but she even said like. What what I like about this is like she it seems like she hasn't even had a chance to process what Ed has said. Right. And the way she said, Oh, Walter's here mm-hmm. sounds like a rejection of what Ed just said. Uh-huh. But I think it was because Walter's walking in behind Ed, uh-huh. she kind of looks up at Walter, stops listening to Ed for a second because she's distracted by this and is like, Oh, Walter's here. Uh-huh. And was just saying that a lot like it sounds like a direct rejection of Ed. Well, because she says, I'm sorry, I think. Yeah, I think, because I think it's like But a, she's being polite. Like, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Walter's here. Like, mm-hmm. hang on a second, we'll, so, this, I need to take this meeting, this is an important meeting I have to do. So do you think she was already, okay, so what happens is Walter, who is her business partner and romantic partner, mm-hmm. he comes, and, and we've only met him once the or one, twice. The one other time, yeah. Um, and we know that where Bobby eats his, his usual spaghetti platter. <laughs> spaghetti. Sorry, so so this guy, the, this Walter guy, is running the franchise, the Norma's mm-hmm. Double R Diner franchise, and he's trying to encourage her to like be more capitalistic, right? Mm-hmm. And make more money. There's you're leaving money on the table by you know just making your ingredients from scratch or whatever. Um, and so he walks in. And I want to know what you think. Do you think she had been planning to do this? Mm, all? Mm-hmm. This was so. This is a coincidence. I don't think she's really even like comprehended what Ed is saying. She has yet. too much going on in her brain right now. Oh, yeah, and I think once she sits down and starts talking to Walter, that's when it starts realizing like, wait a sec, did sure. he say what I think is? Because because by the end of her, their last conversation, Norma and Walters, she's like. You keep telling me about these. I, I this isn't she's what I want. She's dissatisfied with everything. Yeah, she's like, can't we just keep it double our diner? That's what it's been for fifty years. Mm. The other stores aren't even that good. And he's like, oh, but that's fine. They're you're you know. And he's telling her you're not charging enough. She's like, I don't want to raise my fucking prices. Right. This isn't this that's isn't what goal. I wanted to do. And I think which I wonder- I think she's done and and ready to to call and she was waiting she was probably waiting for Walter to come in to do this oh so I think she's she really distracted yeah by... I think she's waiting for this mm-hmm. moment Walter comes in she does that and then realizes what's happening right or there's something uh mystical happening <gasps> and in Ed's meditation he, so he sits down at the counter and he's sitting there and he's very clearly meditating. His eyes are closed and he's just... Oh, I thought he was grieving. Sit, but he's sitting upright and I think he's just, okay, maybe this isn't the time. And then here's Walter walk by and he kind of smirks mm-hmm. as though like he's manifesting, manifesting this it, in this yeah. some way, which obviously I don't think... 
it's got mystical powers or whatever. But yeah, that would be crazy for this but, otherwise very grounded show. Well, not not for the show, but for Ed uh-huh. to to give Ed fucking superpowers <laughs> what if Ed was at this a point. Wizard the whole right. time. But but I think it it is showing you the power of meditation, which is very clearly a David Lynch yeah message. David Lynch's thing. Um, anyway, that's a little bit ahead, but so in uh, so Norma sits down with Walter. Um, as she leaves, he sits down at the table. Excuse me. Uh, Big Ed sits down at the the bar or the, the counter. counter. Yeah. Big Ed sits down at the counter. Shelly says, "What can I get you?" Yeah. Well, it was the other waitress. Oh no, Shelly did. Come it was Shelly. Yeah, there was another waitress working back there though. Um, what can I get you? He says a coffee, and then she yeah. walks away. Cup of says, coffee. And, and a cyanide, cyanide tablet, tablet. <laughs> under his breath, and it's just oh god, just just punch me in the heart. There's not enough cyanide in the world to take down your giant beautiful body. <laughs> but what what a great line though, because because he also still puts on like the brave face and says like oh a cup of coffee and and a cyanide tablet. Like it's and okay, I I'm not gonna tell Shelly what's going on. Yeah, it's not. Can we talk about also like? one of my favorite Lynchian aspects, which is his portrayal of wholesome masculinity. <laughs> and Ed, in his mind, has been finally let go by his wife. Like, I was going to say left by his wife, but really, he's been... They've Freed. both had one foot out yeah. the door. Um, he tells the woman he's always been in love with and who he knows loves him that that he's free now, and she just sort of, like, moonwalks backwards <laughs> out of the situation. And he doesn't get mad he doesn't mm-hmm. you, you see no sign no physical signs of aggression in him you right. don't see clenched fists you don't see any yeah. sign of anger it's just sadness and it's yeah it's i've gotten my hopes up again mm-hmm. and i probably shouldn't have yeah it's which is why like it leads me to th- like and you kind of see this a little bit when he was just sitting in the thing by himself eating soup mm-hmm. like he just that's how he deals with hardship it's quietly contemplating take a breath mm-hmm. sit back contemplate mm-hmm. like and it's yeah it, you're right it's very very healthy mm-hmm. yeah <clears throat> so we cut over to uh to norma's conversation with walker walt shut up so we cut over to chuck norris was in this walker texas ranger it was it was a it's a weird crossover yeah, cut all this out don't use good comedy juice on this um so we cut over to Comedy Norma. <laughs> Gross. So, <laughs> so we cut over to uh, Norma and Walter. They're sitting in that same booth that they were before. And she very clearly tells him, I'm exercising a clause or whatever in my contract that allows you to buy me out. Mm-hmm. See you never, loser. Which is, I, I, I get it and this works for the scene, but like, what kind of clause is there that, like, I'm exercising my clause that you have to buy my shares? It is that a, thing? a business thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you have to buy this thing? Yeah. How do you force like, or... Because you do think... It's like you can have a standing order for things, for stocks and things like that. So anytime this comes... Anytime a stock comes up to be traded, you can... Have, like, it seems like you have a clause to sell your shares, but... No, the clause that you have to buy them if I'm selling is is seems strange to me, but I don't know. I mean, I a... think it's sort of a ripcord option okay. of of okay, well, we're gonna get into business with you. Don't worry if you're ever unhappy, mm. you just have to flip the switch and we will buy this all from you. And it sounds like they're very profitable restaurants. It sounds yeah, they want to. They 
she's holding them back yeah, in terms exactly. of making that's, a profit. That makes sense, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I, like not that I'm a contract lawyer or that smart, but I, I think that is a pretty okay, pretty yeah. standard business guy thing. Either way, it's an interesting scene because they don't they don't break up. You don't see they, them break up. You they just don't, see their. It's just business. Ruling. You assume that's going to happen later. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. We the the stuff we need to know happens mm-hmm. happens. Um. And yeah, and, she and then says we, that okay, I uh, she wants to sp- she wants to spend more time here. She wants to spend more time with her family. And he kind of says, "You don't have a family," which is a cunty thing to say. But she's like, "No, I have a wonderful family." <laughs> Found families is genuinely one of my yeah. favorite genres. And it makes me extremely that's happy. The double R is like the epicenter of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Shelly is her fucking daughter. Yeah. I don't care. Like. You know, Big Ed is has been her husband for years, right. like emotionally. Yeah, it, like Hank is presumably still in prison. I don't know. I, don't, I you hope know. he's dead. I'm sorry, I didn't. I Maybe. Remember. I mean, probably. I you know. Um. Um. Yeah. So this, I would never call, and maybe this is naive because I haven't seen a lot of his oeuvre. But I would never describe David Lynch as a particularly romantic director. Yes, he did make a movie. Was True Romance him? No. Oh, who's True Romance? Uh, uh, Tony Scott directed oh. screenplay Quentin Tarantino. Well, that was a stupid bit then I tried to do. I, I just don't I, see he, David Lynch as a, as a romantic, romantic he's director. He's an off-center romantic. Like, I mean... Uh, Wild at Heart is top to bottom a 100% passionate love story. Mm-hmm. Like that's absolute Blue Velvet is an askew kind of mm-hmm. love infatuation and, and the, the gray areas between. But even Mahal Drive, which is the only one that I've yeah. seen, like I guess you can describe it as a love story, but it, it tend and I'm only describing this, yeah. this one thing, but like it tends to be like kind of underhanded and toxic. And sure. A surface lo- like it's more of a a fling than yeah. a deep romance, yeah. I guess. Uh, no. The... Well, do you think the love that he portrays in in movies like Mulholland Drive is the sort of Norma Big Ed kind of romance of wholesome no, no, and, but and supportive? Absolutely, Wild at Heart is. Yeah. it's not wholesome because it's there's there's violence and things like that around it, but but the the. Pure true love is definitely an aspect in mm-hmm. Wild at Heart. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I suppose he does have like more romantic instincts that I would have credited to him. Um, and I guess like some of the romantic stuff from the original two seasons, I never necessarily thought landed as well. And so. It, because the only real good romance is Big Ed and Norma. Yeah. The, you know. But even when he was doing stuff with Cooper and Heather Graham. And he didn't do any of that. Of course. Oh, my God. I keep forgetting that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I'm wrong. Um, but he. The- and, and then they get into the the Black Lodge in the end of season two, which is, you know, or Red Room or whatever you which are is- considering it. At the end of season two, and he basically just writes Annie out, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and yeah. like, mis- like overlaps her with Caroline and all this <laughs> shit, makes it all fucking weird. Yeah. Like, but I, I guess I bring that up to say that the the timing and the energy of this scene 
is so deeply romantic. I can barely stand it. And and I think a lot of that stems from he he David Lynch loves Big Ed and Norma as much as Big Ed loves Norma and Norma loves Big Ed. Is that something you've heard him say or you just I, are, are I taking that based off I think it just shows. Okay. I think it just the approach like he's he loves Twin Peaks. He has said that like uh-huh. it's that's why he came back in the first place is that it's he feels like Twin Peaks is a large part of him. Mm-hmm. And so these are two characters that like I think and I think that's why he waited so long to make this happen. This could have been yeah, pilot shit like oh, or season oh. three shit because I mean this this is what people were expecting and hoping for and it but it just makes it that much better that we waited 15 fucking hours but also to get this. it fills me with like a very weirdly specific kind of anxiety that if we never got season three which there was no uh, assure, we were not sure that we were gonna get a season three at no point was was mm-hmm. season three a, oh, a what's the word a a given. Yeah. And it genuinely like makes my palms sweat to think that we very likely never would have gotten a resolution to this story. We never would have gotten to see these well, two characters. It's it's the whole like okay, fine. I'll resolve this storyline, but that means I'm going to open up this other one. Yeah. I'll resolve this storyline, but then that's what the the finale is on the other one. It's like Okay, well, we you know we had to resolve who killed Laura Palmer and all that shit, but then we end on this other stupid fucking cliffhanger of right. who the fuck is Cooper smashing his head into the mirror? Right. Like, what happened to Audrey? We don't know. Right. What happened? Like all of these other things, but then still, like he cl- they closed the loop on the Nadine being an eighteen year old story. Mm-hmm. They closed the loop on other things. Like there, it's. I, that's I think what he liked about Twin Peaks is that it's ongoing and yeah that yeah, does explain why um, some things are gonna open other open up again and some things are gonna close it's, yeah it, it, don't it, wrap it all up we don't need to it does explain why he did a television series in the first place because I've always thought in the back of my head that, like this is a really strange choice for David Lynch is to do mm-hmm. a a television series on network TV because obviously I don't think like HBO made yeah, they, movies back then right. or whatever or uh, TV shows rather um, but it always seems like an odd choice to me because he, David Lynch, by agreeing to do a television show, is kind of sacrificing a lot of his own control over this project. Which is a very bold move for David Lynch, who, like, has gone on record and, like, does not like Dune. Oh, he doesn't. He does not like Dune. He hates, he, and it's because he didn't get to make the movie he wants to make. Yeah. He appreciates it mm-hmm. for the fact that. I was able to learn what I need when I'm creating an art project. Mm -hmm. And it was studios coming in and telling him what to do and all this stuff. And he's like, I don't want to do that. And so we ended up with this thing that he has basically disowned. Yeah. It's interesting. Obviously, he hasn't like filed for an Alan Smithy or something. But he, you know, the David Lynch name is still on it, but he he does not. Quantify it as a David Lynch okay. film or whatever. If you don't know, Alan Smithy is a faux director's name that directors use to um, yeah. If, you have if to they like, feel like they've lost control over a project. Yeah, if you you have to basically like fully petition the MPAA mm-hmm. and say like and plead your case of like 
why my name as a director should no longer be on this film. Mm-hmm. This isn't what I set out to do. This right. isn't what I, whatever. And if they agree that you, whatever, they tack the name Alan Smithy on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so we get Big Ed sitting, his eyes are closed, holding his coffee. And he... Yeah, and just so very, upright. He's mm-hmm, like, that's where the meditating thing. There's his jaw clenches a few times, but then like that smirk comes in when he just hears what he just knows it's Walter. Uh-huh. Like that could be anybody walk, could be Toad walking by and he, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, you can hear the dress shoes, how many sure. people are in that corner. Sure. But the fact and that he, he knows. that's, and that's part of the meditation is just your eyes are closed, but you're aware of your surrounding. So he can uh, hear him sure. walking by and can tell by like the gate. Uh-huh. Or like the footsteps, or whatever that he's muttering to himself, that fucking bitch. Or yeah, or basically, or but like that's the vibe he's, he's giving up. He's leaving in a way that isn't okay. See you soon. Yeah, yeah. there's something positive there, and then like okay, that's step one. Had to get rid of this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then this, and and so what I love about this is that Otis Redding comes pulling, oh, pulling back up. It it cuts out for a little mm-hmm. while during the His, Walter talk but um is that Walter walks by and Big Ed I think I agree with you that in his head he's like he's gone yeah but he does not open his eyes and turn to normal like he's gone my turn now right yeah. like he is I, still waiting he, for her to he knows I told you what the thing is mm-hmm. and and again like you said of your wholesome masculinity it's her turn to come to me if she wants it. Balls in her court, but in a romantic way. And yeah, but in yeah, in a way that like she knows my place now. Mm-hmm. I've said what if, I need to say. If the stars are aligned and if this is meant to be, she will come to me. You ready for a Jessica Patton theory? Bring it. I think in this moment, Big Ed is David Lynch in the '90s, and is David Lynch post season two of. I like the audience. Okay, wait, wait. This might not be my best one, but no, no, no. Hear me out. Hear me out. I'm just thinking of after season two of of Twin Peaks ended, and in the years since, in the decades since, the audience has clamored for it, has wanted more Twin Peaks. Tell us more. Give us resolution to this story. And in a lot of ways, he, David Lynch knew that David Lynch is Norma in this like I know they want it they accepted it I have to make a decision of like what the next step is Mm -hmm. and now I'm going to give this to you that was my best theory um it's just an idea of like we were such in such a holding pattern on Twin Peaks for such a long time of Mm -hmm. everybody David Lynch knew how much the audience loved the story and how much they wanted to see it expand and grow and he just had to wait for the right moment to be like okay I'm going to give this to you I I genuinely wonder how much David Lynch knows about fandom and what they like and oh, don't he like. Must. I know he knows there's a giant fandom and they love it, but I don't know if he goes and like thinks about the specifics of what they do and don't like. Because he, I think, still approaches it as a true artist and mm-hmm. wants to put... Mark Frost, on the other hand, absolutely knows. Mm-hmm. And Mark Frost is... In David Lynch's ear. Yeah, and you can see that just a Mark Frost's like, right. Twitter presence, that sure. he's a little more interactive. Sure. 
Whereas David Lynch is like mm-hmm. persona non grata on, online. Yeah. What I, the thing I love so about this, this shot and this sequence. So yeah, he, you see the smirk when Walter walks by, which is great. And it's a, Long lens, and so I'm so everything to is. Call it a smirk because smirk, I think, has some like insidious. Yeah, but, but it's it's, it's not like, enough of a smile to like. Yeah, it's 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 a it's hesitant like a, smile. Okay, it's a hesitant it's, smile. Like yeah. it's cautiously optimistic. Yeah, and okay, uh, getting there. Okay, but hang okay, on, okay. hang on. I've been burned before. Yeah, but he walks by. It's a long lens, so you he, Walter is a foot, two feet behind him, and he's almost completely blurry. Mm-hmm. Um, what I love about this, though, is... We've been talking about the scene for a half hour. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an incredible scene. What I love about this, though, is... So she comes up. She places her hand on his back and, and kind reveal... of rubs up over his shoulder. Oh. His left shoulder. And what I love about this is that it's a shot that's chest high, mm-hmm. close up, medium shot. He's frame right. Okay. Which means his left shoulder is right up against the edge of the frame. Uh-huh. Which doesn't foreshadow anything for her to slide her hand up on his left shoulder. Oh. And that's what's... Like, you know how you watch movies of two people in a car? I'm thinking The Sixth Sense immediately. Sure. Yeah. Or, but like... Or any... Like, every time... There's always a shot where you, you're basically looking outside the window... Like, it'll be like, oh, passenger looking at the driver, and it's uh-huh. the passenger's POV. Okay. It's like more window than, than the driver. And so you're emotionally and you're like, prepared. Oh, so they're, uh, they're going to they're gonna cross an intersection, a car is going to T-bone them. Or what, like, you can see those or things Or something's going to pop up. Yeah, those, those shots are kind of designed to give you, like, something is about to happen. There's a lot of negative space mm-hmm. here. Something's going to happen here. Yeah, I remember at the end... Uh, Again, we, we've discussed Emmett Shyamalan so much, but genuinely the first time I watched Sixth Sense is one of my favorite movie watching experiences ever. And specifically this scene, there's a scene toward the end where Haley Joel Osment and his uh, mom, who's played by Tony Collette. Tony Collette, couldn't think of her name, had Chris, Marissa Tomei in my head. Um, they're talking and the way Haley Joel Osment is shot, he's like in the bottom right corner and it's just mostly yeah. window. And so my friend and I, when we were 13 or 14, understood like didn't understand it technically but but it gave us like some shit is about to pop up in the and it like that was enough tension that carried us through and like this is the opposite of that and yeah it's it's you you almost think she's gonna swing around next to him yeah and and occupy that seat to his right or something and they're gonna have a conversation and to have it just be this tiny little thing where her hand (sighs) rests on his shoulder and he smiles like a legitimate smile it's oh my god it's wonderful and it's so you can't you don't the way like you yes you can assume something is probably positive at least maybe gonna happen or whatever but the but the delivery of it is masterful absolutely masterful and this is this is david lynch direction this is peter deming's cinematography Uh all of this is just done Masterful, and the 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 song. Well, and the genius of the song oh. is that the song is not about. It's not a necessarily exciting, happy song. It's not a song that's like we're finally together. It's I've been in love with you forever. Yeah, I've been it's, loving it's you for pining. so long. It's yeah, and so there is no clue in the music necessarily that 
that this is about to be a happy romantic ending. And then her hand appears. And there was something, there's something really lovely, I think, and non-Hollywoody about two people in their, what, 60s probably? Yeah, oh yeah, easily. And seeing her hand, there's something I really love about women's hands as they age, like that kind of crepey look that they get. And his face, too, is and the same. Face, like he's, and like, it's, we're just looking at two people his who His hair are is not, a weird color because it's not quite gray. Yeah. It is at some kind parts. Like your dad's that it's like. Yeah. My, my dad just had, desaturates. was, a, was a, br- a brunette all his life and his hair now was like. A little bit gray in spots. It's kind of blondish. Yeah, straw color. But it's also from a guy who spends his time outdoors a lot. Mm-hmm. Like it's a lot of sun she damage and stuff. Too. But um, oh boy, it's just yeah, it's it's so good. And the ter- it, it's genuinely the most romantic thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Absolutely wonderful. And his the first thing he says is "Marry me." <laughs> it's so good. It's, it's so good. It's so good. And then, but, yeah, and then but they, yeah, I'm sorry, I abandoned my thought because I was just so wrapped up. But just like the idea of like these aren't 22 year old people mm-hmm. being gorgeous and making out. It is like two people who have lived lives who are also gorgeous who are and also making gorgeous. out. Of but of course they're gorgeous, <laughs> but they are older. You know, mm-hmm. those aren't our normal romantic leads. Mm-hmm. And just seeing her hand next and, to and, his face was and so to beautiful. See older people like this is this is a thing i love about this show throughout is putting like older people older casts in this series with regular people story arcs i mean some of them whatever supernatural or whatnot but but regular people story it isn't they're old but it's not about them being old it's about them being people mm-hmm. because old people exist in the world. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? Stories. Yeah, exactly. And that's what makes that's part of what makes us so beautiful. And like, we've been in love with these two f- for 25 years ourselves. It's, it's, it's just wonderful. And then, uh, yeah. So then they do that. He asks her to marry. They kiss. And then they show like, the sequences to like let the song linger mm-hmm. they give you a moment to linger in it you see this like and they slowly like each shot is a little bit higher up like you see the mountains and then the tops of the mountains and then you uh rise up and you see a almost vertical you know straight up into the air shot of the, the blue sky and like the light clouds happening mm-hmm. as though to that to me it says there's no more turning this off. This is the happily ever after. This is the future. This this is where this goes from here. Mm-hmm. It goes on into, you know, yeah. they die together 20 years from now. Well, and it's side by side at the same time. And it's you know, not like, going to be a like Ross and Rachel will there, won't they? And then they get together, and then there's drama because there's drama in right. the relationship. This, this is our is happily ever after. The, absolutely. And we get so few of them in life, and even fewer of them in Twin Peaks. Yeah. It's yeah. it's just and that's, and they, that's what I love about and they it. keep cutting to Shelly who's just holding her coffee oh, pot and like God I forgot about grinning. the Shelly cutouts and then she's like, like they got the tear in her like she's doesn't hear a goddamn thing but knows exactly what's happening. You're Otis so, writing so in her head, right? <laughs> um, should we just do the, the rest of this episode and another like next week and then <laughs> just talk about this, this scene life? for? Ugh. 
How hard is it to remember that the actress who plays Norma is no longer with us? It breaks me. But also, like... What, I cannot uh, think of her name. Um, Peggy Lipton. Peggy Lipton. But... It... Yeah, it hurts. I love Norma, but, like... At least we got this. In the same way that we're certainly going to dive in it into it at the end of this episode, oh, the same way we get with the log lady. Like, we loved this character, but at least we got our chance to say goodbye. And at least we know she's happy. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, Peggy Lipton and Norma Jennings are not the same person, mm-hmm. but the way we see it, at least we got this. Mm-hmm. And I... Yeah, I it's and she was forever good. Yeah. These are two people who've only gotten like they they were good in the original series and they've gotten better. They've gotten like, kinder, they've gotten patient. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. Some people have gotten better like you know, Bobby was a bad boy, he turned good. Like some people got, you know, Mr. C or whatever. Like these are just two genuinely good people who stayed genuinely good. Yeah. And we're rewarded for mm-hmm. it. And there's there's so much beauty in that. Yeah. <sighs> Sweatshirt's coming off. <laughs> now we can talk about the rest of this fucking piece Ooh. of shit episode. <laughs> no, I, yeah, the, all of this episode. And then, and then, because I love that they end and they let you linger in this, in this, you see the sky and the song playing. Because the next thing we cut to is fucking dark. Mm-hmm. We get our patented David Lynch rolling down the highway headlights mm-hmm. fucking sequence. Mm-hmm. So our next scene, um, we're back with Mr. C. Um, he's driving down a dark road, as Mr. C is wont to do. Um, and he gets to a convenience store, uh, which we've seen before, right? The convenience The convenience store, store uh, that we've seen basically every time there's been like some fucked up shit happening. We jump into this convenience. And this was in Firewalk With Me too, right? That well, was our first appearance? We don't see the exterior of the convenience store in Firewalk With Me. You see... Really? What is referred huh. to as the room above the convenience store. Sure, sure, sure. With the which, jumping man. Yeah, which is where you see a woodsman in there. That's where the man from another place is. All of that is in there. The only time we've ever seen this actual convenience store is in Part 8. Oh, this really? is this is where the, the the woodsmen are like bouncing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we've not we've not seen the actual exterior except no. for part eight, and then the revisions of the scene we saw in part eight, where the it's choppy and yeah. whatever. Um, but now we know it's like a physical a place, place that a person can go potentially. Yeah, because Cooper, you know, Mister C just drives up to it. It's yeah. not necessarily in this metaphysical place uh-huh. i don't know um so uh we see another woodsman who leads him into a room above like you said a room above the convenience store yeah they walk up the side he sees there's a woodsman standing outside and the yes. two of them walk up those steps outside that clearly don't go anywhere there's no door up there mm-hmm. they just go up and then make a hard left turn into the brick wall right but halfway up the stairs, they start flickering out, yeah, and disappear. Um, and so, and then, see... and then you see a shot through the woods. Mm-hmm. It kind of overlays, yeah, as though 
this portal is passing through the woods in some in mm-hmm. some way, and then he ends up at that this room gatekeeper whatever yeah. who's got the big stick that he pounds on the floor and, mm-hmm. and all that jazz. Um. So he, we get to this other room. Uh, we see another woodsman. We see the jumping man, or a. Ju- this says a jumping man. Are there multiple jumping men's? Uh, yep. A quick sure. side yep. Nope. I don't know. Um, I have a friend who, uh, like an internet friend. I, I've assume, never met I think life. it's credited as the jumping man. Okay. So, um, I have a, an internet friend who I do happy hours with among some other people. And she is a, uh, wardrobe tech, I think is her technical thing for the Boston ballet. Okay. And one of the projects she's working on is the choreographer is like doing something really, really out there and wants really abstract. Like a nightmare sequence or something? I mean, just the whole thing I think is pretty, okay. honestly, a little bit Lynchian. Because um, she showed <laughs> she showed us a bunch of, oh God, I hope it's okay that I say that. Um, she showed us some of like the uh, like mood boards, I guess is the only way I could say it. It's <laughs> yeah. like a 75 page doc yeah. of just like weird black and white photos of weird shit. Um, and the the choreographer directors want to use masks, and so I sent her a picture of the jumping man mask because I was like, if you're like, looking for something like creepy, like the one the little boy wears, mm-hmm, the one like, with the like just holds the f- in his face, yeah, like the yeah. paper mache or whatever. And nice. she liked it. A lot. I don't think she used it, but it's just one of those things that now whenever I see the jumping man, I'm like, I don't know, Boston City Ballet is probably gonna <laughs> uh, get some inspo from here. Um, I'm actually remind me, I will show you pictures because she okay. was when we were doing our happy hour, she was working on these masks, and they are weird. Nice. Um, but anyway, so um, so he requests Philip Jeffries and is led to a motel. A woman approaches and unlocks a room door for him. And inside the motel room, he meets with Jeffries, who is speaking through a steam admitting, a steam emitting mechanism that kind of looks like a tea kettle. Yeah, it's the same big bell shaped electrical coils that we see. Like the giant, the yes. firemen messing yeah. with, but this one has a spout so. of some kind. Um, and the the question I keep coming back to with it, all, all of it, is, is that thing Philip Jeffries? Is Philip Jeffries somehow inside? Or is Philip Jeffries now steam? I mean, I don't even know how to. Be I don't. To yeah, that. exactly. I'm not <laughs> expecting you to to have come back at with you know with it. Well, well, see, actually, yeah. Um, you're not a man. You're not going to pretend you know. <laughs> That's not true. I do pretend I know a lot of things, <laughs> but in a feminine way. Uh-oh. Um. <laughs> um. And I wasn't. I didn't recognize because I've only seen Firewalk with me once, uh, two or three times. So I didn't immediately recognize that it was David Bowie's it's, voiceover. I mean, it's not Bowie. Oh, it's not. Bowie had died already. But they, but they had, but they showed a clip from Firewalk right. when he was. It's young. someone doing the same weird Cajun, like not okay. Cajun, but like. Oh, New he sounds like Michael Scott in the episode yeah. of yeah. <laughs> when they do the murder mystery in Savannah. <laughs> yeah, he they had like to molasses. Cut, they had to cut a lot of I do declares. I do declare. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think that is there? I do declare. <laughs> um, it's yeah, uh, and 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 it's funny because like D- David Bowie said at 
had I've heard that he was like I I was really really self conscious about that accent. I hated it, and it's not very good. And Which is wild because David Bowie has very little to be self conscious about this. Yeah, yeah, he because got that. He's like, this is <laughs> so weird. I don't. Why do I have to have this weird ass accent? Well, I feel like even the problem with Southern ac- accents. But it's a good thing he did because you can get someone to do this, and then that. Oh, now you can yeah. recognize that voice more easily and more identifiably as Philip Jeffries. The thing with Southern accents, though, is like, even when they are actually real, they kind of, like, if they're thick enough, they oh, sound yeah, like parody. Yeah. Um, anyway, so um, the doppelganger. I mean, is, any accent is like that. I mean, I mean there's Because you, some, I, you I could think, do, like, a Boston accent or a, you know... But North I think Dakota the with, accent and like yeah no one actually talks to, yeah there's a few people but I think the thing with southern accents is they're so widely mocked that when you yeah. like they're such an easy accent to do and so when you meet somebody who actually sounds like that it's like oh yeah oh okay anyway um so Mr. C asks about Jeffrey's sending Ray to kill him so this is yeah let's uh I feel like they jump like there's another long sequence of Cooper walk or Mr. C walking. Mm-hmm. A woman in a bathrobe speaking backwards. Mm-hmm. What is she? Was she anybody? Says, I'll lock the, unlock the door for you. Um, and that wasn't. Um, it's what? nobody that we know. Okay, so we it's haven't not what's seen her from before, the bridge. But we see her at the end at, okay. during the credits. Um, oh, during the end of this episode. Yeah. Okay. Um, just standing in the thing. This is the same hotel um, in that is used in Fire Walk with Me, um, where the room Leland is supposed to meet Teresa Banks and Ronette Pulaski and Ronette Pulaski. That's what I was trying to think of. Um, is that not the same space where she says this picture would look really good in this room or whatever that thing is? There's like a picture of a room that happens outside the Double R. Oh, okay, but there's the little boy. Who's jumping in the puddle the jumping, with yeah. the black dog runs at night? That whole scene mm-hmm. that that takes place in the parking lot of that hotel. That, that's that same hotel. Okay. Um, but that hotel is just down the block from the real life roadhouse, mm-hmm. at least the exterior of the real life roadhouse. Um, don't know if this is supposed to be somehow that hotel because based on the backwards walking and talking woman mm-hmm. we're in a supernatural space uh-huh. we've you know walked up these stairs and flickered out uh-huh. gone through the woods and now we're in this place like yeah. it's it's strange because this seems like a real ho- like this is the first time we've been in a like uh, supernatural space mm-hmm. like a, it, it gone to a different place but it looks earthly. I am realizing I really like a thing that David Lynch does with like a lot of metaphysical places and whatever spiritual or not real or whatever places you often need to go through a physical a physical place mm-hmm. to access that. So mm-hmm. it's more like a Narnia thing, right? That you have to go through like the, yeah. the wardrobe in a certain way as opposed to something else where it's like think the right thoughts and you get here or whatever i think it's interesting that he links natural and supernatural locations i don't know what that means it's just yeah but that's like this is one of the first time if not the first time we see a space that we know to be 
metaphysical, mm-hmm. but looks entirely earth, not only earthbound, but like like an earthbound location that we know and have been have to seen before. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's it's strange that this is a real seemingly location but it's also not and then it gets into it Mm -hmm. and it's a real hotel room but then the wall seems to like dissolve Dissolve, kind of but it's also kind of still the you can see the radiator kind of keeps popping in which is maybe an homage to erase her head a little bit um but yeah i it's (laughs) when you want to bring back philip jeffries (laughs) And David Bowie is no longer with us. What symbolizes David Bowie more than a giant human-sized teacup? It's so odd. So strange. But you know, like same thing. You don't got you don't have Michael J. Anderson again. Mm-hmm. So let's make him a tree brain arm electric guy. <laughs> you know, like like that's fine like instead of like taking the easy way out like you did for fire walk with me and just right. be like oh let's just cast someone else to play no 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 got a better idea yeah. let's make this real fucking weird yeah um so uh so mr c asks about jeffrey's sending ray to kill him and confirms that jeffrey's had not contacted him in the motel and that so the this person is that who did had sent ray so this is that when he opens a briefcase after he kills Daria mm-hmm. and he thinks he's talking to Jeffries, but we don't know for sure mm-hmm. whoever he was talking to was apparently mm-hmm. according to Jeffries, not Jeffries. Right. Mr. C reflects on Jeffries' appearance at the FBI headquarters, questions him about Judy, who Jeffries says, quote unquote, Cooper has already met. So Mr. C has already met Judy. They say Judy a lot. And we just watched the episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine about Doug Judy and his sister, Trudy <laughs> Judy. Judy. So that's all we yelled during Brooklyn Nine-Nine comes up on this show far more than it needs to. <laughs> well, it's a show that we watch every night when we have dinner, like real class acts. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, but yeah. And then- Jeffries then send, gives him a send... Uh, Jeffries then gives him a set of coordinates. Um, a phone rings as Mr. C continues to question Jeffries. The mechanism, so the teapot. Next next to the little, to the phone that he answers, there's like a little red book too, which I, I don't, I'm intrigued by. I've not looked into. I don't know if I didn't it is. At all. I feel like in my head it was like a black and white scene anyway. It is. Well, it's, is it's it like not black and white, but it's desaturated. very desaturated and dark. Okay. Um, Which is why that book stands out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything like Cooper's wearing black on with a white shirt and a black oh, hair and black eyes. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so the mechanism disappears. So this is the teapot when they mm. say the mechanism. It disappears. Um, like that whole room kind of turns back into the wall. Yeah. Um, Mr. C answers the phone that had been ringing, but is promptly teleported outside the convenience store, and the line is dead. Right, this is the Matrix scene. Yes. So, um, Mr. C leaves the phone booth and he's confronted by Richard Which is, Moore. Is, is a, it's a great pullout, too. Like, the way he's kind of, like, flickering out and he doesn't just, like, boom, he appears there. Mm-hmm. It, like, takes a second to, like, recalibrate or something almost. I, uh, I think this rewatch of this series has given me such a uh, an appreciation for what 
your HBOs and Showtimes and stuff like that have done for television that like and Netflix is now that I love that he can just take his time with these kinds of things mm-hmm. and that you don't feel like you're clipping through anything and like and honestly part of me wishes that even when we're watching on a DVD or excuse me Blu-ray or streaming or whatever I wish I didn't know how long they were because I like the idea that they're not all 42 yeah. minutes or 44 mm-hmm. minutes or whatever and like uh, like yeah, when these, these when, are like that a little bit. I mean, they're usually close to an hour, but there's a but I know how much six minute window or so where it's like an hour and three. Or but I know how long they are because I can see it on the oh, on right. the TV. Whereas if you're watching like CSI or something more contemporary than that, and somebody confesses, and you're like, well, there's fucking thirteen minutes left yeah. in this episode. I know this person didn't do it, and you can. Yeah. I like this idea of I don't fucking know, and like this isn't going to be a. You don't like, even know if you're gonna get an ending, right, much exactly. less if we're leading up to it. Yeah. And it makes it. I don't know. Maybe it's just the movies we've been watching lately, but I really have started to appreciate like directors who are like, um, no, I'm not. maybe well, genuinely it's just that clip of David Lynch saying like, who the fuck cares how long it takes? It, it's that, and it's it's intentionally subverting expectations. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So Mr. C leaves the phone booth. Um, he's confronted by an armed Richard Horn, um, who recognizes him as Special Agent Dale Cooper. Yeah. Um, and he recognizes that because he there was a photo that his mother kept. Who's his mother? Audrey Horn. Audrey Horn. So we get confirmation of what has been expected, or mm-hmm. in you know Implied, theorized, or yeah. whatever this entire time. But also, I, it's an it's a weird moment of so much weird shit that's completely unexplained in this show, and then sometimes it's just very, very outright, almost bad exposition. But here's the thing: is how do you know who I am? Because I saw you in your suit. I know you're FBI. Because my mom had a picture. Who's your mom? My mom is Audrey Horn. Okay. Like to get get it so explicit just seems so strange. But in context, the last time we had a discussion that felt really straightforward, who's your mom? Tina. Yeah. So I think maybe it's just sort of yeah. a hat tip to that of like That's a that's You don't a, fucking know. You don't know. Yeah. That's, I'm gonna I'm gonna tee up everything for you and you'll still whiff because it's Tina. <laughs> Whereas yeah, this is like because he could have said Benjamin Horn is my father. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's there, interesting. Yeah. There's no... I, I think the interesting thing about watching a David Lynch show is that there's no... Sometimes he's going to give you exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he maybe gives you what you want, but you're not sure. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, fuck you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <that's, laughs> How dare you have any expectations? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, huh. Do you like that little piece of insight i gave you no that's that's a great point like i he does give you very specific over-the-top exposition but a but it's about shit that doesn't mean anything or doesn't matter to anything so it's irrelevant yeah i mean every time you go to the roadhouse at the end of an episode i don't know who these people are talking about who the fuck is charlene yeah this episode she's credited as ruby Ruby? so you know that she's ruby classic ruby (laughs) um so anyway, um, Mr. C disarms him. Love to see an older gentleman kick the shit out of a young shitty teen <laughs> or whatever. It's just nice. I feel like, they- and it's nice that he just like 
knocked him, you know, I think he punched him and uh-huh. knocked him over and whatever, but didn't punch his entire face in. That was nice of him because that we know was, he's capable of yeah, punching yeah, yeah. in an entire he face. He has a lot of restraint is the one thing mm-hmm. I'd say about Mr. C. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, so this is a moment. So Mr. C then sends a text message that says, Las Vegas question mark and we've seen that before like four episodes ago or something like that so this is another thing where we're playing with the timeline of Mm -hmm. okay also you get right before he gets sucked out of that room in the phone booth he mentions that you called did you call me five days ago Cooper's saying this to to Jeffrey's oh oh, and and so Jeffrey's like I don't have your number (laughs) I do declare. <laughs> There's been a murder in Savannah. Like molasses dripping uh, from and your I mouth. And I think it was Juju Mama Juju. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. I hope you guys watch The Office because this is nothing without The Office. But he, there's a great Instagram account called Cooper Mifflin. Mikey it's does show good. me shit from that it's basically just, every day. It's just a mashup. A, of posts that are half jokes on The Office and half jokes on Twin Peaks. And yeah, it feels like a thing that has been very trendy lately on Facebook yeah. is like cross shit posting. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like dumb shit posts, but also you need to have an in-depth knowledge sure. of, of right. two different pieces of pop culture. Right. And if you and if the for the audience it hits, it hits beautifully. And if you don't, yeah. do not ask for anyone to explain exactly. it to you. It, it will make, not be yeah. funny. But anyway. <laughs> So he says to Jeffries at that point, like, you called me five days ago with it. I don't have your number. Mm-hmm. Um, I do declare. Yeah. But so that's another timing. So five days after right. that is when he sends this Las Vegas text to Diane. Assuming texts are inst- instantaneous in this world. All, sure. Sure. Assuming they're instantaneous. It could have been a text to the past. Or also, we know he sends that text to... We know... We know Diane receives a text that says Las Vegas question mark. Yes. We don't technically know. Does Cooper send this to a bunch of people? Does he have an army of people that he's sending this fucking message to? Did we see her receive that? Or is there any chance she just flipped up her phone and has a... Good call. Um, I don't don't recall if uh, we see her reply to it, but I don't know if we see her... Receive it. Receive it. I so bet, I guess what I'm we, saying is we can is, line up those times or yeah. whatever on the phone. But but again, there's there's information here and they they're purposefully dropping timeline markers for you yeah. if you want to piece it together. I've never done it. I I just think there has be to be t- like websites. Yeah, and I'm sh- there are I'm sh- uh, yeah. Like you just gestured at my laptop I, where I can go to find the, the website. <laughs> Have you heard of the internet? People on the internet, um, some people call it the World Wide Web. Uh, I call it the net because I don't have a lot of Ooh, time. Nice, Sandy Bullock. Love it. <laughs> uh, sorry, that one got me. Uh, okay. Um, so, so Mr. C sends that text that says Las Vegas. Las Vegas. I don't know why I said it like that. Las mm-hmm. Vegas? Question mark. Um, and he leaves with Richard Horn. The convenience store emits electricity and smoke and then disappears. Yeah, which is just 
fucking weird, man. <laughs> Nailed it. That could just be all this whole podcast. There's, fucking weird, man, that was right? fucking weird, man. Can you believe it? Does so this weird. scene happen? It's so and weird. that scene was fucking weird, man. Then there's that other part. I would watch an SNL skit. Weird. That was fucking weird, man. <laughs> an SNL skit that's like podcast. Yeah. Where it's like, you let fucking me, believe it. Let me fucking call Kyle Mooney because this is absolutely <laughs> a Kyle, Kyle Mooney, Mooney skit. Yo, so we watch this scene and like, it's fucking weird, man. <laughs> um, okay, so Cyril Pond, who, oh. This is Mark Frost. Yes. So Mark Frost made a brief appearance Early Hans is a big name for a character that does not get so so the only reason we know it's still him is because the credits so Cyril Pons was a news reporter in the original series yeah good call I'm just looking at his he does a report in the show about the the mill burning down Mm -hmm. um this says that he wrote an article reporting the death of Andrew Packard on his boat that Wait, well, I'm going to read. I'm on TwinPeaks.Fandom.com. Uh, so in 1987, Pons wrote an article reporting the death of Andrew Packard in an explosion mm. inside his boat, boathouse. That's based on the secret history of Twin Peaks. Okay. Uh, in February 1989, he reported on the discovery of the abandoned train car where Laura Palmer and Ron Apolesky That's Pulaski what it was. Not the burning down of the mill. Yeah. That's, but that's where he makes his physical... Wait. In early March 1989, Pons reported live on television from the Packard sawmill the morning after it was born, bur- burned okay. down. I was right. Cut out all my interjections. I was right. Your what? Uh, interjections. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when I'm three glasses of wine deep. You're not, though, is the problem. Oh, You're a glass it? and a half. <laughs> own your own bullshit, Michael. I thought it. Okay. I thought I was. I thought this was my third. No, I think it's only your second. It's fucking weird, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we got a shipment. By the way. <laughs> We got a shipment. Actually, of, okay. <laughs> we got a shipment of six new bottles of Pursued by Bear wine today. I ordered it Wednesday of last week. Thursday, I got my shipping confirmation that your package has shipped, and it's already here from Washington. It's going to be delicious. I didn't even have time to make it cold for this podcast. <laughs> what? Sorry, we joked offline about <laughs> about just interjecting Pursued by Bear wine ads the way podcasts pretend that they're real ads. Just start doing ads for Pursued by Bear yeah, despite the fact just, that they have not paid us or acknowledged right. that we and exist. I've paid them significantly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they have not paid us, but it is legitimately delicious. So we got six new bottles of rosé uh, because that was just released last week. Um and it was very good. And are I'm you, excited are you to drinking share this. Pursued by Bear right now? Uh, I am not because I didn't have a chance to get it cold. Mm. Uh, but we will share it for Easter tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, we're going to see Mikey's mom tomorrow. So anyway, Cyril Pons. Yes. Uh, he's walking through the woods and with this his is, dog. This is Mark Frost. This is Mark uh, did Frost. We even do we say that? Uh, probably? Do we know who the dog is? Is I guess my important point. Mm. Like, is that Mark Frost's I dog? I I no I don't know. But I like it. It this looks is, like a weird rescue dog, which I'm into. Yeah, this is another example though of walking in this episode, which is, is like there's a lot. Like of, literally just walking. Yeah, like oh, because we, okay. we open with Nadine Nadine's walking, walking down, down the, highway. the highway for a while. We we get Cooper walking through the 
you see him walk through that entire lot in the by the hotel before okay. he gets to think. Uh, we see Sarah Pons walking here with his dog for a while. Like, there's a lot of walking, which I find odd. There's a lot, also a lot of different angles and a lot of segue. The segue B-roll stuff of like establishing shots are very interesting and very different drone shots okay. that we're not used to. A lot of like rising yeah. and like moving instead of just like usually it's either a wide shot of the great northern uh-huh. or the mountains or or you know the the twin peaks you know what tail blue pie my mountain um but these are like these like they kind of swoop up and go around yeah. like they're different in mm-hmm. this episode and it's strange mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't necessarily know if there's a reason for it or if there's, you know, why it's different, but it's different in this episode. Right. Okay, so, um, so Stephen and um, Gersten Hayward, they're hiding in the shadow of a large tree. So this is a giant tree. Yeah. That this, Mikey and I, is, not to brag, Mikey and I have met this tree. <laughs> we, yeah, we're, we're best friends. Uh, no, this we is, this is this one of the locations Sabrina showed us, though, mm-hmm. on when we did the, the tour with Sabrina Sutherland or whatever of, mm-hmm. of locations. Um, and so he's holding a gun. He's contemplating suicide. She's trying to talk him out of it. And he's talking about something that may or may not have happened related to Becky. Yeah. I, so it's hinted that maybe Becky has been murdered. Uh, like... And Becky is Shelly and Bobby's daughter. Okay, Amanda oh. Seyfried. Okay, like he's she, uh, like he's. I've seen this now a few times, so most of it I can kind of pick up. But the first time I saw this, I was like, I don't understand a goddamn word he says. Yeah, I think that's the tricky part about watching a Lynchian type show, is that you're getting a lot, a lot, a lot of content. We're at 14 hours of content, or sometimes a six minute stretch of no content. Yeah, but. So when somebody makes a callback to something or says something that we're not witnessing, it is a coin flip of whether it's something that we yeah, saw yeah. or did not see. And for me, a person who struggles to pay attention to literally sure. anything, it makes it deeply and, unsettling yeah. to follow. And, and Gersten is like, can, like comforting him with like, it's okay, you're just really fucking high. Mm-hmm. So maybe he did nothing and you think because, and you Wait, think like- isn't he the one who killed the kid? No, that's Richard Horn. Who is this? This is... Oh, fuck. This I've is mixed Becky's up, husband. I've mixed up him and Richard Horn in my head. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Sorry. Like, this kind of yeah. shrimpy white guy sort of... So so the idea is that there's a thought that maybe Becky confronted him and yeah. he killed Becky. That's how he's sounding. But That he's really guilty, but he's also apparently really fucking high. Yeah. And... Because then he starts talking about a fucking rhino and like, maybe I'll just become turquoise. Yeah. And it, it's... This and guy's it's, off his rock. Right. So maybe nothing fucking happened at all. Mm-hmm. Or... Yeah, he's just having maybe a Maybe he got high because he killed his fucking wife. Or, or he's just having a bad trip and doesn't All of this. We don't know. Yeah. And I think Alicia Witt's performance in this scene is mm-hmm. incredible. Because she doesn't know either. She's dealing with this guy and try like you can see her trying to comfort this man. It, what is their relationship? Have we seen them together before? The only time we saw when Becky goes to that apartment complex because he she heard 
he's sleeping with her. Oh, when she shot up the door. And she shot up the door, and then the camera so is this confirming... moves down and sees the two of them, like, kind of hugging in an alcove. Okay, so this is once again reaffirming that these two are probably having an affair. Yes, of some, they, of they some absolutely are. And he even says, like, I love fucking you in this scene. Like, but that's just what men say to women, right? Just, yeah, whether they have or not. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just, hey, how you doing? Love fucking you. Love fucking you. Um, I don't know who that yeah. character was. I just but did. this, <laughs> but this is, is a really, like, we have no idea what to take from this scene as truth. Mm-hmm. But I love, I just love Alicia Witt's performance of this person struggling to try to be helpful to this guy. Yeah. But also this guy's really fucked up. But also maybe something happened she doesn't know. Yeah. But also don't fucking kill yourself. Yeah. Which is what he's threatening to do. And then he's a high school graduate. And like. Yeah. It's a fucking bizarre scene that I didn't care for initially. Oh. But in in You didn't care for it because because it I think stressed I missed you out. I just was like, what the fuck is this? I can't understand it. Because this seems like it. a thing that would like trigger your anxiety. I just I just couldn't understand anything that was happening. Everything was mumbled and mm. whatever. But having seen it more, and I can really like dive into the performances. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, I think it's it also has little play on the overarching story that I'm interested in. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the interesting thing about that I did not realize about this episode until we came up here is that we didn't see Gordon Cole, we didn't see Albert, we didn't see mm-hmm. Diane, like which mm-hmm. generally are often my favorite parts of any given episode. So well, interest interestingly, I'll be the judge of that. All of the storylines that are happening, very few of them are not involving at least one person from our original cast. Okay. Becky and Steven's marriage and well I guess even Gerson is technically an original cast yeah um is Gerson a name I've never heard it before mm. like I wonder it sounds it never, to me. yeah it never jumped out to me really anyway keep talking um but yeah so and I didn't even put Gerson in there but I feel like of all the new characters we get we don't really get any new storylines from hmm. the new characters. I guess Chantel and Hutch, maybe. Yeah, but that's pretty surface level. Yeah. Um, Gersten is German. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's very German. That makes sense. It's variant of Gers, which is an Ashkenazi, Ashkenazic Jewish name. It's an ornamental name. Oh, it means barley. So, I think you know what that means in this context. Barely. 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 It was a barely, barely joke. Nailed it. Okay, so Cyril Pons, a.k.a. Mark Frost, and his dog that I want to snuggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't there a dog at Twin Peaks Fest? Uh, yeah. I feel like somebody just had like their dog There's hung around. There's a guy, I don't remember his name, but he's pretty prominent in the Twin Peaks community who... Bl- Justin Blyler something like that who brings his dog and it's a cute little dog and he wears she... a little he had like a little one of those bandana collars yeah he did what a good boy or cute. girl unclear um, so Cyril Pons Mark Frost sees them Gersten runs to a different hiding place and then she hears a gunshot 
Uh, Pons reaches the trailer park and tells Carl about the situation, and they look over at Stephen and Becky's trailer. The woman is, excuse me, the window is still broken from their last fight. Mm-hmm. So where we saw the mug fly through, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, what does that mean? I presumably that Stephen shot himself in the head, mm-hmm. and Sarah Pons witnessed it and decided to tell local law enforcement. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I can't think of either his character's name or his human name. Harry Harry Dean Stanton. Okay, Carl, so Carl Rod. Sorry, I was blanking on his name too. So then we go to the Roadhouse, which Mikey made a joke like, "Oh, it's over already," and I just have no sense of time That's, anymore. It could have been. <laughs> Anytime they go to the Roadhouse, I'm like, "Well, that's enough of <laughs> Wrap that." This up. It's been 20 minutes. Um, the strangest intro to just a track running because he it's the same guy the same like slender black man who introduces mm, a couple of the singers sometimes he does sometimes Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. don't get an introduction i'm sure there's a pattern there or there's not who knows (laughs) um and he intros sharp dressed man by zz top with like a weird like like a really 1980s Battle of the Bands kind yeah. of thing. It's like a um, uh, like an applause meter. Yeah, but then immediately just like Cranks goes right up. all the way up. And and then nobody's on stage. Plays Sharp Dressed Man via recording. It's, what? It's so strange. Why the fuck are you playing Z... First of all, why are you playing ZZ Top at the Roadhouse? Yeah. Like, is this... It's so bizarre. It's very for strange. all of the scenes in the roadhouse. This feels bizarre, and this is the most innocuous. Like, yeah, um, it this this I feel like adds to my theory a little bit of the roadhouse sometimes being a supernatural space, and maybe this is a reality space because we this is one of the few times where we get conversation and actual interaction within the roadhouse. We usually do, but it's usually just like people we don't know. We just see people we don't know at a booth. Yeah. But like moving around and we get some space work and Well, and the weird thing about this is it feels like a very framed scene. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense of like, okay, the beginning is our MC or whomever is introducing this song which normally we, we've seen this happen before and we see a live band and that sort of yeah, like why isn't the live band playing but for whatever reason he introduces this song in like a lot of reverie and then we see this just scene play out and then it ends when the song ends yeah. and it, it just feels very well, much like a play of like what's, the scene is going to be as long as this which yeah song. what's what's interesting is my thought is that they're playing a recording for the sole reason that when Freddy punches the guy, it can skip. It sends such a shockwave uh, that like the the recording skips when he does that. So they sort of that's, had to do a recording. That's why to they that wanted work. a recording. That's my thought. And so, do you think the, the problem is why are you introducing this with people like lined up facing the stage to look at a fucking like fucking poster board of yeah. a fake applause like. I wonder if it's David Lynch or whomever wanting to establish that this... What's the thing when the music is in the scene that 
characters can hear it versus they can't oh, hear it. Diegetic versus non-diegetic. Yeah, I don't know which is which, but like I, my guess would be he wants to establish that like to make that skip bit work. Sure, he has to establish that all the yeah. people. Yeah. But there's much easier ways to do that. You show the bartender hit play on an iPod, right? And that's it. Like you don't need this weird. But then you got the what is it? something something J C Star or something like that. I remember the guy the 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 MC the MC. I don't know. Uh, but he's, that dancing is so awkward. So I love it. There's the pine cone in the end of the microphone. Yeah, God, I, we didn't even mention that. He's talking to a microphone, and where the plug normally is, is just a fucking pine cone. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? I mean, it's a wireless mic with a pine cone attached. That's all it is. But No, I think it's David Lynch trying to explain to us how energy comes from nature. Oh, okay. Fucking find a fault in that Prove theory. You're wrong. <laughs> I dare you to prove me wrong. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's also like, I think part of the reason it gets me so hard though, too, is that like ZZ Top to me is dad rock, but just one of the weirdest bands of like, they got huge. And why? Chuck Dress Man is a bop. Exactly. But like, like the same thing with like ACDC of like, it's the same song over and over again. Do you know they call ACDC in Australia? It's never very good. Uh, no. Akadaka. What? Why? I don't know. Australia is weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But like. And to be clear, the group of friends I had in Australia called that. It could not feel like a national thing. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure it's your stupid friend. <laughs> oh, can I tell like the smallest anecdote? When oh, I because we need permission for anecdotes now. <laughs> when I was uh, 20, I did a semester in London, and friends of ours, um, our friend Patrick, Patrick, who officiated our wedding, and his now wife Colleen, who we've been friends with for as long as we've been together. Um, they flew out to meet me because um, Colleen had done a semester years before, and she saw the friends in Nottingham. And I was like, kind of as a goop because I was doing a study abroad program. I went up to Nottingham with them, and, <laughs> and I had like this notebook, like this notebook that I would like take notes on the culture because it was in theory like an anthropology trip that I oh, could. Yeah. yeah, I got anthropology credits for it. <laughs> and at one point, I, we had all like there was probably six of us in this house, in this like college house, and we get up the next morning, and myself and somebody whose name I cannot remember off the top of my dome. I was like, hey, how did you sleep? And he was like, and my British friend, he was like, I like, laid down in my bed and went to sleep. And I was like, oh, I guess that's an idiom that doesn't really translate. So I wrote <laughs> down in my notebook, like, quote, unquote, how do you sleep does not mean what Americans see. And then his now wife walked in. And I was like, you know what I just learned is that like Americans in the morning we say, How do you sleep how did you sleep? Like in a did you sleep okay way, but apparently you guys don't do it. She goes, Oh, we do it. He's just an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And I have that notebook somewhere of just, Lawrence. Lawrence is his name. Oh yeah. I knew it. I yeah, yeah, him. we yeah, he came yeah. to the Colleen Patrick's wedding. But just that is such a lovely piece of like no, yeah. no, no, no. First of all, do not speak to any one person to try to get, like, well, the English person experience. It's the same. And that's what I love. Like, I'll tether it back. It's the same thing of, like, <laughs> like any interpretation you get of any piece of art or anything like that, too. If you're like, oh, I wonder if this means this. And you're like, sure. 
That's fine. The way you're like, oh, I guess they don't do that because you just yeah. decided to extrapolate. Uh-huh. And like, that's why yeah. sample sizes are important. Yeah, Hashtag exactly. science. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I so don't understand ZZ Top. They just are such a boring fucking band to me. Like, I don't understand why they've. They're fine. Yeah, they're fine. And like, why would people be excited to hear a fucking CD Fuck of yeah! ZZ Top? <laughs> At the fucking roadhouse. I haven't. This is such a deep cut. I haven't heard it in years. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. Um, so we see James and Freddie walk in. So ostensibly, this is the same evening. Uh, the last episode that we saw them chatting on the dock because they said we're going to go to, or it's not that, but they did say they're yeah. going to go to the roadhouse after the latest. But shipment. we've also seen them walk into the roadhouse before in another yep. scene. Yeah. So maybe they do this a lot. So who knows. Uh, so they walk in, they kind of approach Renee's table, and Renee, we saw when... Yeah, barely. He, like, is, like, halfway across yeah, yeah, yeah. the room, and he, like, like, makes eye it's good to so. see you, Renee! <laughs> and Renee, we saw when when um, James was playing uh, guitar, playing just you and I, and mm-hmm. she was in the corner, weeping. She was also in the the first time James walks into the roadhouse when... when Shelly gives the the great great line reading of James has always been cool, which lol. Wait, has her name been oh Renee? Shelly said James is always Shelly been cool? and Renee were sitting in a booth. Oh, and she was like, I thought you got Shelly was like, oh, he's always been cool, and Renee was like, uh huh. Lol, Shelly, no, <laughs> you've always been cool. You're getting those mixed up. Um, and apparently we learned that Renee is married or partnered. Chuck. Takes just a run at James. And Chuck, I think, is one of the names Audrey mentions in her rambling of crazy people. Yeah, so we've heard um, between Audrey, between scenes at the Roadhouse, just lots of first names get tossed out. Yeah, in the last couple episodes. And they're all kind of like generic Americana names. Or names that could be both. Like there's a Charlie and a Chuck. Sure. There's... um, I feel like there was another one too that was like, oh, well, that could also be a nickname for sure. you know, you know, Billy and um, William or something like that. But I don't think there was a William. But, but Chuck comes out literally swinging, uh, punches him in the face. His buddy gets up. Is ki- so James is on the ground, mm-hmm. getting kicked, uh, and Freddie comes to his aid and <laughs> punch it with his green glove that we we learned about last episode. That can crush walnuts. Crush. Punches both Chuck and somebody else. It was the. Uh, we don't. I don't have a name for him, but punches these two guys. Yeah. Um, James urges the crowd to contact nine one one. Um, he because he says, like these guys are fucking hurt. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's foaming at the mouth and shit. This yeah, ain't it's good. and. and <sighs> I think she, things like this are interested that like Renee clearly has some sort of interest in James, but as soon as her partner is in jeopardy, it's all about him. Like it's not, it's not like whatever. He I can, mean, I think that tracks with someone in an abusive relationship. Oh, a hundred percent. But it's just, I think important. And I, and I, I guess I, I, that's an assumption I'm making, but I assume Chuck is an abusive partner. I mean, he's physically, obviously, really aggressive. And yeah, the fact that a guy says hi to you and yeah. he beats the shit out of him. Like, yeah. I assume that that guy is probably an abusive partner. Mm-hmm. Or at least just whether or not he's abusive to his to Renee. He's just a violent motherfucker. Sure, sure. Um, 
Okay, so Wilson brings Headley to a Douglas and Jane... Oh, okay, okay, wow. This this is back at the FBI. Yeah, these were several names that I was confused about. Okay, so Wilson brings... So Wilson is... Is Headley the guy from that's, Real and Yes. That's okay, the, so the, the Headley the is director or, or the the, the Las the Vegas show. branch of the FBI. Yeah. Um, Wilson is his assistant or superior yeah. inferior person. Yeah, some type of yeah, either assistant or yeah. you know low level FBI worker. Um, and so we had left them last time. Of there's lots of this Douglas. Is what we do in the FBI. <laughs> Um, so we know that they are trying to find the correct Doug Jones. Right. Douglas Jones. Um, and so he mentioned something about, like, the kids are really upset. And he's like, what? Kids? Kids? <laughs> Plural? Kids? How does he make this horrible character so deeply likable? Because it's he's just so, so absurdist. And he's so charismatic. Yeah. It's all just so absurd yeah. that it works. And that's all he does. Like... I love that they had to cast five people to be in a room. To be in a room where he opens a door, sees this. There's one kid screaming. <laughs> they both look awkward and uncomfortable, and they're like in their pajamas and shit still. <laughs> yeah, they're and in he their just Opens their door, closes the door, and is like, "Wilson!" <laughs> like, it's great. It's 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 like old time. Like, it's a modern take on very old time comedy. Like, this feels like something that would be in, like, Leave it to Beaver or When some he shit. said Wilson, it made me think of... <laughs> Dennis the Menace? Oh, God, no. I oh. actually... My, my two thoughts were, um, for some reason, the, like, Flintstone! Like, he had that kind of hard-ass boss. Wilson! And also, it made me think of um, Super Nintendo Chalmers. Charmer- <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just, the same relationship. Of the, yeah. the Simpsons character, Superintendent Chalmers. Skinner! And it's just, like, literally the way he says Wilson could be, that's exactly the right way to play it. It could be any 1950s, oh, like, yeah. workplace comedy. And that's a very 1950s name, Wilson. Wilson, yeah. yeah. Very generic. Um, very good. Strong scene every time this guy's on screen. Yeah, and just, I just want to be a part of just it. Just dropped in there in the middle of this episode. Don't forget. Yeah. Other things are happening. Okay. Todd tells Roger to find Anthony Sinclair, and then they're both assassinated by Chantal. So that's one sentence. <laughs> it's doing, that sentence is doing a lot of heavy lifting. I mean, there's not too much more to that scene, but... This... It, it, some really weird digital effects of the like the yes. the head exploding and like the, the gunshots it are like... Genuinely it genuinely looks flickers. like Photoshop. Yeah, it, yeah it's, I, I, it's strange. I, I, I'm honestly, like, I think a lot about, like, doing this podcast, and not that I'm even close to being a, like, mega David Lynch fan the way some people are, but sometimes I really just want to ask him, like, just one little thing of, like, what's with your special effects, and, like, what I, goal, honestly, it what goal looks, do you have? It looks like his artwork, like his, like, mixed media paintings and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It looks like that stuff. Sure. And I think he just likes that texture. Yeah. Yeah, it looks very artificial. Yeah, but whatever. So she walks in, plugs Duncan Todd in the head. Which is what, like, Duncan Todd has been this sort of, like, man in black this yeah. whole time. And I assumed he was going yeah. to come up, and nope, dead I'll, as fuck. I'll talk about that a little bit. I There's an interesting... You I, will, or you will right now? 
I I, th- I feel like it'll play better later. Okay. Um, but I think there's an interesting discussion to be had about how easily the big bad villains are dispatched okay. in this show. Oh, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, so she comes in, plugs Duncan Todd in the head, plugs another guy in the chest. What's his name? Um, Richie Todd or Roger. Roger. Plugs him in the chest, starts walking away, and you hear him like, this So she walks maybe- back in, plugs him again, and then is like on the phone, presumably with Hutch, about like, we're going to get French fries, extra ketchup. Extra ketchup. Yeah. I, I do like, there is something I that I find always, always, always effective of somebody doing something monstrous and then talking about something really banal mm-hmm. of just like, I'm going to kill this guy. Do not forget the cheese on well, my burger. I and swear that, What's God. interesting is. Oh, I want a burger. <laughs> What's interesting is this is Jennifer Jason Lee mm-hmm. and Tim Roth, which I didn't even necessarily recognize her right away when she came oh, in yeah? in that suit because it's just unlike what we've seen her thus far. Anyway, go ahead. Um, they are fairly prominent, you know, um, uh, Quentin Tarantino actors, and Quentin Tarantino is a man who made his career off of that very concept of people doing. Casual violence. Casual violence. Like having shitty conversations about foot massages or mm-hmm. whether or not you tip and then murdering people yeah, and yeah. doing, you know, super horrific violent shit. Mm-hmm. Like this, the their whole story arc is a weird nod to Tarantino. Mm-hmm. They are very Tarantino-y right. in characters. Yeah. Which seems so sh- Strange, because I feel like because it doesn't seem like Lynch to yeah. do a hat tip to a contemporary. Yeah, Lynch doesn't seem like anyone. It doesn't seem like he's seen a movie past the 1960s. Right. Like it seems strange that he would even know about Tarantino. Right. You know what I mean? Much less homage it in any way. But it feels all of their scenes be very Tarantino. They do, yeah, and and done well. And it's yeah. not like a they're a, great, yeah. like a shitty copy of a Tarantino yeah. film. It's very, I think. Um, um, impactful. Um, so we go. Are you ready? Oh, okay. So we're at the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department. Hawk and Bobby are locking up James and Freddie. James takes notice of. Which you mentioned. Why is James getting locked up? He just got his ass kicked and, yeah. like, bring him to the I mean, hospital, I guess, sir. I guess he was involved, but. I, but is, he got kicked in the ribs. You need to do some, like, MRIs on a, that. An accomplice to an assault? When you're the one on the ground getting kicked? No, I would I would argue no. And granted, I'm no fan of cops, but I would say at the yeah. least bring him to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, it's... I mean, Freddie, sure, he punched in some faces and guys are in the ICU. But right. I, I mean, James doesn't need to go to the hospital. He was just like hit one time. He's right. fine. But right. it's... It's strange. No, James, that James is on the ground getting kicked in the in the ribs. Like mm. that's not shit you want to fuck around with, especially yeah, that's when true. you're not young anymore. And yeah, I guess he's not. He looks young though. Yeah, he looks great. <laughs> Everyone he looks, looks great. so much. I I don't know seen... if anybody aged. I think everybody aged better. Uh, and James notices the woman with no eyes, whose name apparently is NATO. NATO and AIDO is what mm-hmm. it has here. Okay, uh, we see, we cut away another sort of Tarantinish. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Tarantinish scene where Chantel and Hutch are eating in their van. Yeah, it is just a continuation of that last scene. Uh, yeah. 
eating um, burgers, chatting about murder, and it, it's murder. it's it, it reminds me a lot of the, the Woody Harrelson monologue from Natural Born Killers about like all God's creatures do it. It's murders, whatever. Like there's a whole scene mm-hmm. about that, and like this feels like that. He's like, well, I, might, might as well. So-called Christian nation might as well be thou shalt kill. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> pretty good. Like his and like you said, he's taking huge swings with this character. He really, and you know what? Landing every time. Mikey, I, I don't were care. On the couch. I don't care. And again, once again, the uh, the sort of southern accent police he's, came out. But there, yeah, he's taking gigantic. Gigantic swings, like, and I love every one of them. Every line he reads is patently absurd, yeah. and it works in this sort of heightened <laughs> Might as reality. Well be thou shalt kill. The government does it all the time. People get paid for it too, just like us. Damn right. Two faced fucks. So called Christian nation. Might as well be thou shalt kill. Show no mercy. Forgive no one. Fuck them in the ass. The nation of killers killing all along. Kills damn near all the Indians, didn't they? Yeah. And it's... And there's something I do love when this is fictionalized, because you see it a lot in real life, of when people say something like, might as well be thou shalt kill, which has been said 12,000 times by 12,000 different people, and every person who says it is like, fucking nailed it. Thou shalt kill. Like, don't mind if I do. Take some liberty. Like, everybody thinks they're this original comic genius, but like, no, no, no. Everybody says that. No big deal. Yeah. Um, Well, and it's just, it's it's shitty justification for awful acts. A hundred percent. Which is what religion is designed for. (laughs) Hot takes. Okay, so we go back to... Not (laughs) really. We go back to Vegas where uh, Jenny E. brings um, Dougie a slice of cake, reflected on their life since they became friends uh, to the Mitchum brothers. As he eats, Cooper observes... Excuse me. As he eats, Dougie... (laughs) He takes a bite of the cake and then like... Pokes at the remote that's sitting at the table, doesn't do anything, takes another bite, pokes at the remote again. It's like a toddler. Yeah. Like I'm just, just like, touch things oh, things. that button's green. I should try that one. Oh, that button's red. I should try <laughs> that one. Um, how they put it here is uh, he observes and experiments with objects on the table, like the TV remote, which I like. That's good. That's good. But yeah, that's, that's exactly what he's doing. He's just like, I'm eating this. There's other things around. What's this thing? Ooh, those buttons are fun when you press them. They squish in and out. Yeah. You know? And so he keeps doing it and then touches one that turns on the TV. And he turns on... I love... I This is the thing I noticed while I was watching this. He turns on Sunset Boulevard, which I think is genuinely one of the greatest films of all time, especially of that era. It's... it's, it's and so also, good. it's just great that he... He, David Lynch, is acknowledging that I stole this name. The from, name Gordon From Cole one of is. these movies that I famously love. And there's just something that I think is really funny about screenwriters or directors or whomever who anytime one... It seems like a trope that anytime a character is like, oh, I'm just alone eating ice cream out of the tin and I'm watching this like 19... I'm watching one of the like... Tom, An affair wait, to remember or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. What's the... Um, it's not the Slender Man. That's the other guy. But the Thin... Oh, the Thin Man? The Thin Man? Is that what it is? Yeah. It's just like they're always watching something like that instead of like 
whatever two weeks notice which is what most of us watch <laughs> i don't know why that one just came out of my head uh, but you know what i mean like yeah. this this trope of people like sitting by themselves watching old movies like no they're watching friends for the 12th time like that's not how people <laughs> yeah. enjoy media yeah. you know anyway um so he hears and that's the other thing too is that like they don't know how long this fucking pain thing is going to happen, so they're watching, like, four seasons of a TV show. <laughs> they didn't watch a movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so he hears Gor- Gordon Cole's name, and that sparks something in him. Yeah, triggers something, yeah. Uh, he but lo- not all the way. You think... Uh, he's still... For a moment, you have a... <gasps> but he's still a And then he gets distracted by the outlet. Is he distracted by the outlet, or is he drawn to the outlet? Yeah. Uh, well, either same thing, either same both. Either so he uh, he crawls towards this. It's just a regular electrical outlet in their mm-hmm. kitchen. Uh, he starts crawling towards it. He grabs a fork, starts sticking in the outlet, and then we have a blackout. So which well, he we saw, turns it around so that he can get it in, and then you see him electrocuted, and you see. And so uh, this is the second Jane time. E's reaction. There's big bright light, mm-hmm. which. It's cool looking, but yeah. excessive. It didn't spark that much. Right. Uh, but then he drops and passes out, and she freaks out. And so we remember this is how, quote-unquote, real Dougie Jones became the Dougie Jones we know now, is that when he was in that house with that woman whose name was Chris. I don't know what you're talking about. That's how... When Dougie Jones becomes the Dougie Jones we now know, he gets electrocuted. Well, this by the-, the Dougie Jones we know comes out of the socket, right, and lands on the floor, right. Jade, Jade, that's her name. No, but this is like and, the first and time. The other Dougie Jones just right. So this is, is a, other- an electrical socket we've seen before. Oh, the last oh, time sure. it was okay. Dougie <clears throat> Dougie Jones getting to be this whatever Cooper do- doppelganger. I thought you were. Saying somehow like yellow jacket Dougie was like stabbing at a electrical outlet. No, or no, something. no. This gotcha. is just uh, just a electrical. I keep gesturing to our electrical outlet. Our, it, that's just mm-hmm. a thing we've seen. Oh yeah, that one too. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's just we, yeah. this electrical outlets mean something. What do they mean? Well, electricity is is sure. has kind of been a through line. We one of our in between shots was the same electrical power lines and kind of tracking along them with like a gray filter thing on it uh-huh. which was similar to what Andy saw on the ceiling mm-hmm. like electricity is a thing yeah, it's, it's been so- referenced a lot it seems to be a conduit of some kind for things mm-hmm. <sighs> okay and then we go back to the Twin Peaks station house when Margaret the log lady calls Hawk. Well, we start with and, like an overly long establishing shot of Margaret's cabin. Mm-hmm. And they linger on it for normally that'd be two to three seconds is okay, where this is where we're going now, and then we'll jump inside. It lingers a little long. And maybe that's just because I know what's going to happen, but it's just long enough to be like, ah. Like, like even when, even I, I feel like the first time I saw this, when I saw that cabin after this episode and everything that's happened in this episode, like I immediately was like, oh shit. 
Like this isn't gonna be good. Yeah. I like it it felt ominous in a way. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but that establishment shot is I, mean, I think that's you. Just a little long, but it's a little longer than it normally would be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's on purpose. Um, so she calls Hawk. She tells him that she's dying. Um, he expresses his condolences, but she speaks to him about death. And that just continues to listen. Oh, God. How good is Hawk? In that? Like, there's so something sad. about a quiet character that I just adore. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, I think TV and entertainment is all about sort of the big characters and the, you know, people saying kooky things. But I think listening quietly is and maybe it's just I and I don't know if it's because we've seen Hawk since the 80s and just kind of know his character or or whether Michael Horse is just very good at that quiet I think both I think both are true um she so Mark continues to talk she tells him to remember everything that she's told him and watch for the one under the moon at Blue Pine Mountain. Um, and then she hangs up and Hawk quietly says goodbye. Well, yeah. And in the middle of, so this scene starts the way all of their conversations have started. She's got the phone receiver up to her ear. She always she, says, Hawk. She's, yeah, she's holding the log in her left arm, phone receiver up to her ear in the right. And they're talking, hey, Hawk, I'm dying. But you know what this means. And he says, I'm sorry and whatever. And then she puts, we don't see it. It's off camera. She puts the phone down at some point. And the rest of this scene is straight to camera. Yes. Like it's, this is, this is David Lynch knowing a good friend of his and a character and an actress that we love and adore is quite literally dying in front of our eyes and i i david lynch am going to give you katherine colson the opportunity to almost like eulogize yourself give the give you an opportunity to say goodbye to everybody goodbye to this character goodbye to this place good but like goodbye to hawk goodbye to your friends and your family you katherine colson not Margaret Lannerman, mm-hmm. not the log lady. You know you're dying. Here's your opportunity to say thank you and goodbye to all these people. And it's so wonderful that they got a chance to do that. And Hawk just sits and listens. And all of this is like, it's no longer about the conversation she's having with Hawk on the phone. Mm-hmm. That's put aside. You just assume he can hear. Mm-hmm. I, she may have put it on speaker or whatever logistically if you want to figure that out but it but doesn't matter that's the point is it doesn't matter and she's just talking and then it all builds to good night hawk goodbye hawk. Or, or, or she um, hawk says that he says good night margaret goodbye margaret oh it's just a dagger in the heart but like so well done so well done like what a like how lucky are they that they got this opportunity to do this that they 
were able to dwell in it a little bit and and oh it's i you just you wish you could do this with every character yeah and it makes me grateful for the relationship that that she obviously had with with david lynch with mark frost because these scenes they write for her are a gift oh i i mean him and david lynch and Catherine colson are best friends yeah absolutely like she, she eraser head doesn't exist without Catherine colson mm-hmm. um she carried him through a lot of his early career um and that's it's delightful that this is like okay we know you're on the way and like the fact that they rush these scenes they change the script to make these scenes worth possible it. they worth filmed it. this like a few weeks before they started principal for production like all of this was done to make sure we can get this before she goes well and what's interesting is that as we we've brought up there's so many people we've lost between filming mm-hmm. and today margaret or Catherine was the only one i guess um warren frost probably as well but there weren't a lot of people who like nobody expected albert to Mm -hmm. leave us right and so there is something really lovely about david lynch kind of honoring and i think also the log lady is such a symbol of twin peaks like it's so transcendent of anything And and the fact that at the end during the credits like Every time a person who's has died Oof, was yeah. in an episode, they give a a memory of Miguel Ferrer, a memory of Catherine Coulson, a memory of Frank Silva, mm-hmm. all these people who have died. There was an in memoriam of Margaret Lanterman, a fictional character, mm-hmm. and it's and it feels so deserved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. I'm. I think that um, I think this God sorry I know I I um, I I tried to put myself in <clears throat> in David Lynch's shoes of as an artist how do you memorialize your friend mm-hmm. because it's Catherine Coulson but it's also mm-hmm. Margaret Lanterman and he just he's just and she knew exactly what she was doing Mm -hmm. that's the like because of where she was you know physically in her health and everything and the fact that they rushed production to her so that they can make this happen you know all of her scenes are filmed from basically a single shot Mm -hmm. like there's no you know she knew this was like how great how great would that be if you got a chance to say goodbye to the entire world like it's 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 just another great example of this show transcending the show on a meta level mm-hmm. it's uh yeah and i think there's something interesting about artists memorializing their friends because there's you know there's only so I don't know I'm thinking of like 
uh, say thinking dance which is a show i bring up a lot because i'm a dork and i like dance but like there's this really beautiful dance of um mia christ what's her last name i don't know but she does a dance that is her father had passed away mm-hmm. and it's a dance that represents her and her father mm-hmm. and i oh boy okay um when I'm depressed and sad, what is the first thing I lose is why am I watching this dumb show? Why are we making this dumb thing when there's people struggling? Like, we shouldn't be putting... This shit is superficial. It's matter. superficial. Why are we putting any money toward making television mm-hmm. when there's people in America starving? Is is kind of where sure. I... Uh, when I'm especially feeling really grim that's how I feel of like this is pointless Mm -hmm. if everybody isn't happy and healthy but there is a reason that we as humans are drawn to art because everybody has their different lives and their different experiences but we kind of go through the same motions everybody loses something they love Mm -hmm. or someone they love everybody you know, falls in love or has a child or whatever that they, and, and making that experience universal is, I think, incredibly important and mm-hmm. and is how empathy works. Mm-hmm. And it's on a whole other thing. The way the reason that I don't think conservatives are ever going to be good at comedy or drama because they're not they're not an empathetic person people, yeah. right? They don't give yeah. a fuck about anybody's feelings besides their own. So this makes me feel deeply jealous of David Lynch that he had the option to memorialize this friend of his in this Mm -hmm. beautiful way and also so glad I never had to do that of like so glad I never had to like be the person to say okay this is my friend Mm -hmm. and this is how he's going to be remembered yeah it just it's hard to watch it's hard and I'm just an empathetic person so I can't I cannot watch a scene of anything without putting myself in the actor's shoes not the character's shoes but the actor's shoes Mm -hmm. so all I can think about when I'm watching that is Michael Horse is talking to and this is we've done this before on this show is Michael Horse is talking to a recording of his friend who's dead and yeah 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 and that like that's the beauty of art is that it's it's not only cathartic to the artist of like oh it's art is important get things out of you and whatever your art form is if you want to i mean if you want to dance or you want to paint or you want to skateboard whatever you need to do to get your emotions and your feelings and your thoughts out do it but then you also when you can put it out there and it ends up with a product that can help other people Mm -hmm. that's even more incredible and people can see things like this and be like, this is going to help me through mm-hmm. because if this, you know, this person can get, you know, the fact that, I mean, that's what Laura's Ghost is about, which I'm just finishing now, finally. You've been reading it for I know, I'm a terribly months? slow, lazy reader. I read like once every couple of weeks for like 20 minutes. It's okay. I love when I come downstairs and uh, you're sitting on the couch and it really warms my little heart. But it's, but yeah, but it's a great assessment of people reacting to the parts of Twin Peaks that resonated with me because oh shit 
I finally saw someone telling the story of parental fucking abuse mm-hmm. and incest and shit like that. That like, I love Twin Peaks. That doesn't resonate with me because no, that's not relevant not to me. But I love that this thing is that for you. Mm-hmm. I it's the fact that he could do this. The fact that he could say goodbye. Like, and it's. Ah, depending on which lens are you like it's David Lynch saying goodbye to his friend and Catherine Coulson saying goodbye to her friends and friends and it's all just it's it's saying goodbye so to wonderful. you oh, God. it's and incredibly sad like, but, but like uplifting sad like it's not the kind of sad where you're just like I'm in grief and I'm gonna dwell in this because I'm miserable. It's the kind that's like, good, good for you. I'm so grateful that you got this opportunity. I like it's what I it's what funerals should be. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go to funerals, it should be celebration of life, and everyone always says that, but they're always sad. I it's there's something about uh, this deliver. It's just all so perfect. But I. It's so, uh, yeah, I, uh, um, that idea of, hey, I'm, oh, thank you, daddy. Daddy's comforting me. She's um, a good girl. She's such a good girl. Um, I've been to a funeral where, and it's my friend John that I've talked about so many times that I went to North Carolina for mm-hmm. his funeral. Um, and his best friend who I'd never met, who I heard so much about. Um, he did the thing that I feel like everybody does of like, hey, don't mourn my death, celebrate my life. But like, yeah. It's fucking hard, You man. can't do one without the other. Yeah. I need to, like, because yeah. I now can, yes, it's I see a sweet girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, for me, I tell stories about John as often as I can because that's the way I keep him with me, which is, I think, how David Lynch mm-hmm. does as well. But like you need to give people and I think he does such a good job of like giving us the space to be sad mm-hmm. without grinding the whole show to a halt. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. It's it's not this big orchestral score that's yeah. designed to make you cry. It's sad because You're it's right. It's genu- not emotionally manipulative. Right. It's this is a genuine moment of a filmmaker saying goodbye to his friend and her saying goodbye to us. And it's honest. And it isn't trying to be a tearjerker. It isn't... Battlementi could have written something amazing that was going to knock us on our ass, but it didn't need it. And yeah. that's the point. I didn't even think of that, of like, we didn't get our big swell of music. Yeah. We got a quiet... Mm-hmm. Goodbye, and that's what she was, deserves. It's what she deserves. Yes, yeah. yes. It's yeah. It's it actually just came up the other day for me on my like Facebook memories and stuff of uh, what I talked about a few weeks ago, where that band strung out um, posted a thing for my friend with his GoFundMe of like, hey, this guy's struggling, and it came up, and it was like, this is gonna come up every every year around the end of March of like this band who didn't really know my friend, mm-hmm. 
but was part of the community, like reached out to do this thing. Like that is a moment that will always be wonderful to me. And I, I will respect that band forever for that. Yeah. Um, and then we see Frank. He's in the con- conference room looking at a fish. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, yeah, we, so we, we finish that scene. Hawk does the great good night, Margaret to Margaret actually hangs up the phone. And then after the phone is hung up, goodbye, Margaret. So good night, Margaret. Goodbye, Margaret. Whew. And that's a that's a gut punch. It's so much more so than any music swell or whatever it could be. We cut back into the conference room of the Twin Peaks Sheriff Station, and Frank Truman is sitting there looking at full screen images of fish, just scrolling through pictures of fish. Not even like good pictures of fish. I mean, it's just like it's like stock imagery with right. like white backgrounds right. of like what type of fish is this? Yeah. Like just looking at cutthroat bass or whatever they're called. <laughs> Random pictures of fish, and uh, Lucy, Andy, and Bobby. Bobby all walk into the conference room, and he's like, "Hey, what's up, guys? What are you doing here? Why are you?" And it's very clearly at night. They're all there late. The lights are all overhead on the table so that like Lucy's short enough where she's kind of well lit. She's you the only s- one who's well lit, which is you, what I noticed. You can see Bobby a little bit. Andy is shoulders up, almost completely dark. Yeah. And then, you know, Bobby says, Hawk called us in here. Um, Hawk steps in from out of the darkness <laughs> so that he's well lit God, he's and says, <laughs> right? And he steps in just the right amount of time and says Margaret Lanterman passed away tonight wow Lucy loses it a little bit like Frank takes his hat off which is just such a silent sweet little gesture It's a wonderful scene. I mean, it's. God, I'm sorry. I don't know why. It's no, like I'm there with you. Killing me. I'm there with you. But like a group. God, of, this episode is so good. A group of people in mourning is so difficult. You know, because everybody's. Di- that's one of those things that's like uh, horribly difficult. Is if somebody passes away, and it's not like it's your parent and we're all here supporting the person grieving everybody is in the same place everybody's grieving their own personal story that's part of why i like we don't know frank truman that well yet i mean we kind of learned about him a little bit we don't know his relationship with margaret the log lady at all really um but presumably he met her later then. Obviously, Lucy, we know, has met her and is whatever. Of course. Bobby, but also he was a child when we last saw them together. Andy is really just being supportive of Lucy. Yeah. 
Hawk has gone through his shit already, I think, a little bit, like the initial Yeah, they're giving space for all of us. Sure. But what I, I, there's the moment of Frank hearing the news and he reacts and he's sad because he knows this person, but also knows he doesn't know them as well as everybody else, I think. And the, the removing of his hat. And setting it on the table, it feels like such a gesture of respect mm-hmm. to everybody else there. Mm-hmm. And rather than this isn't for her, this isn't for, like, it seems like that's just a moment of like, oh, this hurts. I'm sad. I'm not comparing like, oh, well, you're sadder than me. You know I, we're better I'm than more me. here to support oh, you. Oh, we got to be more. But like, it seems like a gesture of respect to your history goes beyond mine and I'm sorry for you. I'm still going to be sad, but I'm also sending out my love for you guys, Mm -hmm. which I, it's delightful. It's just wonderful. But Lynch, Lynch does this and these, this scene, the previous scene, there's nothing wrong. Like grief is a part of life. And you, the resolution to grief isn't try to be better, try to cheer you up. It isn't about that. It's about spending time with it and acknowledging it. And that's fine. And these scenes do that. Yeah. Because he knew. Yes. We all knew by the time this was released and by the time anyone sees it, she's going to be gone. So the grief at that point won't just be a character study. It will be real. Yeah. And even honestly, by the time these people performed it, I think she was gone. Oh, so yeah. like, I I think that's why a lot of it is so hard for yeah, me to watch. They're they're legitimately mourning their friend, and it's not even like oh well, well, I can use I lost a friend recently, so I can use that in this. This scene. is they're my the friend, same who I fucking lost. person. Yeah. They're one and the same. We're mourning this person, and let's spend some fucking time here. Yeah, because there's nothing like stop, like normalize living in grief that's fine it's a thing i have said a lot to family to friends and i genuinely don't know if this came from me being in therapy or or whatever but if something god i guess for example like when i when i miscarried in november when i was talking to people about it it was like is there anything i can do and my response is always no i'm just gonna be sad for a little while because I think there's this instinct of like, if you're sad, it's my job as your partner, as your friend, as your family member to cheer you up. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be cheered up. I just want to be sad for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, you know, have you seen, you know that new, brand new meme that's been floating around of the the whole Suez Canal barge thing? <laughs> and it's the, the giant boat and the little tiny forklift. It's a, a, a digger. The Yeah, the digger thing. Yeah, not forklift, but the digger. Yeah. The backhoe, I think. Um, it's the giant boat that just says depression, and the and the little backhoe that just says don't be sad, or like have you tried running, or like these things that are just like just shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like it's oh, like I why there's this stigma on being sad is wrong. Like because it bums other people out. And that's sure, but you know what. Fuck that. Who cares? Yeah. Like, I, let me figure my shit out. I'll 
I'll get I'll get through it when I'm ready to get through it. And I'm gonna I like knowing people are there for me when I'm ready for them uh-huh. is what I want. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to fucking pretend like because the problem is cheering people up tends to also be forgetting about or pretending what is making you upset didn't happen. And that's wrong. And this is a part of your life for the rest of your life. You right. always, you're always going to have lost your friend or your family member sure. or your pregnancy or your sure. job or your whatever. And it gets easier with time, like everything. But, but yeah, like it's, it's not like I miss my friend any less. It's not like I miss my grandparents any right. less or people that I've lost. Like, I'm not in grief the same way I was. Mm-hmm. But I also have been lucky. I've had people around me who weren't trying to like cheer me up. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and that idea of like time heals all wounds or whatever. And it's not that's I don't think that's a great expression only because I don't know, like, you know, my friend John who died t- more than 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I only knew him for a couple of years. Like weird, extraordinarily close. Um I'm that wound is never going to heal. Right. And it shouldn't it shouldn't. I am will. I am able to move on with my life. I'm not dwelling on right. it every day. I can get up in the morning and do my shit. I can take care of my dog. I can be with you. It's not like it broke me. Mm-hmm. But I don't want that wound to be healed. I right. want to always keep right. him with me. And and when you when you're granted the luxury of memorializing something like you can in this show with mm-hmm. this character and this yeah and it, i'm 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 grateful i'm i'm like like i'm sad for everything obviously but like i'm grateful that all these characters got this mo like yeah. these people who grew up you know well and it gave us catharsis right yeah. watching yeah. people be sad make gives you permission to be sad yeah that's why we do funerals that's yeah. why we memorialize people is because we need to because we're going to move on, most of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But. Yep. But that doesn't mean forgetting our person. I don't know. Well. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> Took a little break. I think it was necessary. I genuinely, I'm curious about how I'm going to edit that. Because I feel like we just trailed off into me crying and you being nice to me. I mean, I was there too. I, yeah. it's it was yeah, but took a little break. I think we're good. Take a break. What's the song I sing? Break me off a piece of that Kit Kat. <laughs> Fancy <laughs> feast. <laughs> um. So, all right. Who knows how we cut that? But we're back with our emotions sorted. Ish, adjacent. Um. We're going back to Audrey and Charlie, who... Still in the same location. Still seemingly the same conversation. This feels so like waiting for Godot or <laughs> like actor's nightmare of yeah. just these two people are trapped in like a black box soundstage of... Yeah. Well, that's 
talking. And, and that's they what die. I was talking about when I remember after the, the very first appearance of these two and I was like, well, I don't think this is normal. I don't think this is real. I don't think this is a real location. And you're like, I don't know. It was weird, but it was what, but then like, is it getting more intense or am I just like looking at it through a lens? Of, it's both. Okay. It's, it's, it's getting heightened. It's, it's just that you keep getting these moments of like, oh, all of a sudden he's now ready to go and then she's kind of holding him back. Yeah. Because like, well, I'm ready to go. Are we going right now? And she's like, all these, like the the thing, the dream logic of you want to do this thing, but you can never actually leave this location. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so bizarre. These scenes like are so bizarre. so much though. Yeah. It's... It's very interesting. It genuinely is the way that we, when we talked about, I'm thinking of ending things. Mm -hmm. I genuinely cannot stop thinking about that movie because it is all of that. It's all of like. All of a sudden I'm here. Yeah. All of a sudden your shirt's different. All of a sudden this person's 80 instead of 20. Yeah. And there's just something that's so grabbing to me about that, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. It's intriguing. Yeah, I need yeah. to know what's happening because when yeah, I'm in I don't my... really care that much. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter what the resolution is or mm-hmm. if I get one, really. Because it's not like a murder mystery that... Right, right. Y- I want to for... see all the clues line up to a right. capture. That's right. not what this is. And arguably, it's not what Twin Peaks ever has been. It's mm-hmm. never been a one plus two equals three. It's always been like, I don't know, keep walking this way and see what the fuck you find, idiot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. nothing is it's not connect the dots it's right. an abstract painting right and Did I do something... too many layers of metaphor there well but sometimes things are real sometimes things are how does this affect the real world how does this real world thing affect the metaphysical world mm-hmm. how to how does dream logic play into this whose point of view are you watching this from which mm-hmm. that's a thing i think isn't addressed enough within twin peaks is <laughs> You're not, there isn't like a central character, probably Cooper-ish, but- it's certainly not in season three. Right. Especially since he's so fractured. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you don't, you're, you're, your main guide through most of season one and two is Cooper. So I'd answer it. But, but it's Laura's story? Do you think? Oh, Absolutely. I absolutely because none nothing happens without Laura and her story and her influence on everything. Okay, is throughout, and that's the beauty of it is that she's barely a character in the sure. first two seasons, and it's still about. But she's like a human MacGuffin, a little bit. Like, but it's so much of this is is point of view, and the point of view is constantly shifting, mm-hmm. and whose story you're telling and who you know where things are coming from and why things are being shown to you and are they dream or are they reality or are they supernatural is it a hallucination exactly in a mental institution right we don't know any of this because it doesn't and to me this scene was the whether it's on purpose or not whether it's my perception or David Lynch's intention I do not know but this seemed to me and maybe it's just because you dropped that idea of, like, is she asleep and, like, listening to a therapist talk mm-hmm. or something like that. This, to me, seems the most 
and I'm using big air quotes around obvious, like it seemed like he is not of this world, Mm -hmm. of her life. Mm -hmm. It is because he's just constantly explaining what's going on to her or explaining things in very like, well, Billy, Billy, is that her part? That's the guy she's looking for. Yeah. Well, Billy did this or never did this. Well, that's Billy. Okay. Well, that yeah. And I'm, I'm Charlie. Charlie. Yeah. And the way he says that very slowly and deliberately feels like a Everything therapist talking does, to somebody yeah. who is yeah. who is kind of broken with reality. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just the constant like, so do you want to do? Like he just talks. And he'll like say things so yeah, so matter of factly like that, and she'll respond by flying off the handle. Uh-huh. Like yeah. it's yeah. Um, so and Audrey specifically says that Charlie seems like a different person to her because this I mean what we've seen so this is our third scene with these two fourth I think do you see anything romantic in their relationship oh absolutely do you see any kind of like they never they haven't even touched each other yeah and until she fucking chokes him well but that's just what every marriage is about. It's like sometimes you just need to choke <laughs> right, your partner. I, yeah. Yeah. Like, tonight's my night. Tomorrow's your night. <laughs> um, Charlie takes off his coat and then Audrey attacks him. She mm-hmm. tries to choke him out. What the fuck is going on? Unclear. Yeah. And then we go back to the roadhouse. Um, the Veils are performing a song called Exolotl. Thank you for saying that because I have been staring at that gathering of letters <laughs> for five minutes. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I was genuinely hoping like maybe if I just open my mouth, it will just come out right. It did. You open your mouth <laughs> and it came out on mic through me. Um, and so we meet Ruby, who I don't think we've met before. Uh, meet is generous. Yeah. But I know this actress, right? Yeah, Charlene Yee. She's hysterical. I love her. Um, oh, she's in the house. Anyway, she, she did. She was in that movie with um, Michael Sarah. Which one? I don't remember. Super bad. I don't know. That one's fifteen no. years old. So that I mean, it was one of his early movies, but yeah, she's just kind of like awkward nerd, nerdy, yeah. like petite woman. Yeah. Um, she's sitting in a in and a booth. just staring at the I presumably the band. Yeah. She's staring. Yeah, so she's in the booth. Two men approach it, and this is our same booth, the right? Booth. The booth yeah. that we've seen. Yeah. And they two big biker guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like approach her, and it's sort of an aggro way. And she's some waiting for I'm a waiting friend. for somebody. Yeah. And they physically eject her from the booth. Yeah, just like pick her up, put her down. Yeah, she looks like she weighs ninety pounds soaking right. wet. So like that tracks. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, and but, she's very much like what mm-hmm. so she ends up on the ground and i really liked the way they picked her up and put her down because she, she kind just of, sits there she's like, like a cartoon character yeah. that she like keeps the same shape as mm-hmm. she sits down mm-hmm. so she ends up on the floor cross-legged and then starts like crawling in through the crowd which is and then just screams. really really with with that and the like the the strobe lights flashing from the band playing mm-hmm. is very reminiscent of what we just saw with cooper Mm-hmm. With Dougie, the mm-hmm. way he's crawling towards the electrical yeah. outlet, and it makes you wonder what's the correlation now between the roadhouse and. It did not make me wonder that. I want to be clear. It makes you wonder because no, 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 no. you're. Oh. It made you wonder. Oh, okay. <laughs> Think about it and then start wondering it. Okay. 
Um, I just it it there was clear cut correlation uh-huh. I think between the shot of you know being in front she's crawling towards the camera yeah. but it also like the way the legs are next to her almost looks like she's crawling through the forest the trees yeah yeah like it it's and then something happens as she just starts screaming, screaming. and I don't know yeah but yeah so she like the song is a very dark and gritty yeah gritty is a good word yeah song it's it's an interesting ending i don't know this it 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 is because all of a sudden you're like wait what like i feel like this oh and then so then so she screams we go to black band still playing then we see the starring kyle mclaughlin then we see the hotel parking lot again Oh uh, yeah. While the credits yeah, yeah, roll, yeah, yeah, yeah. then then at one point late it cuts back and we see the other angle of the hotel parking lot and that woman is standing there. What woman? The woman who says I'll unlock that for you. Oh. Okay. Uh, I don't know any of that. I don't know. Uh. But like all of a sudden like this episode seemed to have a lot of book ended with Big Ed Norma which was wonderful. The sad goodbye. Doesn't to, it feel like years ago that we were talking about Big Ed and Norma? Right. <laughs> I'm Big so Ed Norma sad and tired. <laughs> was delightful. Then it's bookended with the sad goodbye to Margaret Lanterman, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, what the fuck is this fucking weird Audrey Horn scene mm-hmm. plugged in? And then who the fuck is this girl? Why is she crawling on the floor? Mm-hmm. And then shit's happening, and then then we don't get our typical goodbye of a band playing mm-hmm. like. There's music played, and we end in the roadhouse, and we but hear we don't it. get the... Yeah, but the actual credits are rolling over the top of another but image. We... Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, because we do get our shots of the band playing. Yeah. It's not like we it's never close. see it, Yeah, but it's not quite right. Right. Huh. And it's, I don't know, yeah. All right. And that's the end. I have to eat dinner. Yeah. All right. Any uh, thing else you want to? No, I mean. You know what, Mikey and I. Watched... That episode is very, very good. It was very so good. Mikey and I watched um, a movie called Swiss Army Man, that I just feel like people who like this show would enjoy because it was just. Mm. No, you didn't. I like didn't. It? No, it was fine. Oh, I liked that it. Was a whole okay. lot. Like I haven't stopped thinking about it. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm. So yeah, anyway, your mileage may vary. I, I thought I thought it would have been a really good like thirty-five minute short film. Sure, it was a it was an interesting concept. I think it was the same thing for I liked way it. too long. I'm sort of really obsessed with Daniel Radcliffe right now because he went from the literal most mainstream thing of all time, and every movie he does is just kind of weird. And I really <laughs> respect that about him. Of right. like, yeah, 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 I have the money. I'm just gonna do weird shit for the rest of my career. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Uh, well, so what? That was fourteen, fifteen. Hmm. That episode that we just watched. Oh, uh, it was part 15. Yeah. 15, so we're coming up on a... And the finale is a two-part finale or whatever, like, so... We've so got we only have one more One more episode? episode, and then it's the two-part finale. And then granted, the two-part finale is separated a little bit, but... I was going to say, are we going to do the two-part finale uh, in two parts? No, I, yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, two and a half hours. Sounds about right for a 15-minute yeah. show. But fucking incredible episode it was very good. incredible I, episode the, the, genuinely this sounds dramatic but this is a an episode that makes me reappreciate like what art does for us mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and recently mgm 
MGM, is that the lion one? Yep. Metro Goldwyn Mayor. Yeah. They recently updated their stinger, I guess. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Um, that is, is still the lion growling, but they changed... So the lion is in kind of a gold circle, and it used to be a Latin phrase, and they just recently revamped it. So now it's in English, and it says art for art's sake, which I absolutely adore. And I I have more in-depth thoughts about making art a commodity and a money-making scheme, because I don't think MGM... Anyway, it doesn't matter. I just like that idea. The concept is very good, I think. Yeah, and... You're always gonna I like Like capitalism fucks up art, obviously. Sure. And so I don't think MGM is the the greatest uh bearer of that expression, but <laughs> I still like it. I still and I think that you know the way we all keep from losing too much humanity is art. Oh, absolutely. That's why it bugs it bugs me to no end when you get into like these moments of you know economic struggles or whatever and the first thought is like stop funding the arts oh yeah stop funding music but yeah. then every person we hit we hit fucking quarantine and everyone's like well we need to like economy is so bad we need to cut all this shit and i was like all you people are doing now is reading books and and watching television like all, this Oh, it's you awful. guys would be miserable right now if it weren't for fucking my art. Dad ha- my dad has given me shit for my entire adult life that I was a illiterate major, but mm-hmm. he loves to read and he loves to watch TV and whatever. Yeah. Like, it's- there is a disconnect. Of, I mean, it's it's a it's a um, economic thing of like only rich, stable people get to make art, well, and that and it's it's a shame because that's the problem is is business people only care about money and how to make more money mm-hmm. and that is their life yeah they they work for 12 hours a day mm-hmm. they don't go home and watch television like those people mm-hmm. are disconnected from art um those people aren't listening to music to decompress and stuff sure. all they care about is making more money right. to the point where it doesn't matter it's fucking psychopathic in a way oh, absolutely but it isn't about making you know, it's it's about making it's more about, money. It doesn't matter how much you have, and it isn't about reaching a goal of like, oh, well, if I get this, or it's I not can. about giving art that speaks to people. Sure. It's what art can I make that people will buy? Yeah, it's, there was um, and a very good. And it's the problem people are having now with the superhero genre mm-hmm. killing film. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's a very good episode of Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, which is a podcast I like a whole lot about. Um, about multiplexes mm-hmm. and essentially in the 90s um, the advent of going from most movie the- which is I don't remember a time before multiplexes but it used to be you get one maybe two screens in mm-hmm. a place and then when multiplexes happened all of a sudden they needed more quote unquote content mm-hmm. and that's why and, and there's a guy who wrote a book about like 1999 being the best which I know you disagree with but being the best m- year of movies because film houses were saying okay well we're we have to fill these multiplexes and in addition to you know whatever shit that we're playing out we need to just fill these screens with our shit and then they figured out that like oh if we put the new jurassic park on 37 screens then we don't need to have so many movies i haven't listened yet but 
I think I think the this the separation is is nineteen ninety is the conceit that nineteen ninety nine is the best year for movies or the best year of movies, and I think that's the, the conceit. The this nineteen ninety nine thing is a subplot of a guy who is talking in sure. this interview. But I, I think nineteen ninety nine was a great year for movies by putting them out there and getting things made and getting recognition yeah, yeah. not necessarily the best year of movies you know what i mean like i, I, I think 94 there was but I, I, an incredible I batch idea, of movies that existed like, the idea you know, was yeah. these indie flicks were given studio money sure and which and they had digital was becoming born yeah right and, oh, sure. and you know like um uh being john malkovich was is sort of the sure. The quintessential weird movie that got Excellent made in 1999 movie. because they just need to put shit up on screens, mm-hmm. right? And like, I used to, and I used to watch fucking Spike Jones make skate videos. For, yeah, 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 exactly. All right, thanks for this weird emotional journey we all took together. Yeah, man, I'm so tired. Love you guys. I love you too, Mikey. Aww. Bye, Kevin. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week. <laughs>